0: everybody and welcome to the Smorgasbord. I'm Tom Shapiro and with me... Hello, I'm Sean Edry and my mother's name is Martha too. This is a comic book podcast brought to you by the fine folks at Sequorts, the best online and unusual source for comic books, news, reviews, previews, and critique. Buy their books, read their articles, watch their movies. And remember, we're on Patreon, support smart criticism and comics. Not a lot of news
1: in the last two weeks since Seriously, we all of the news has been going on. Oh, <laughs> yeah, come it on. It has been nuts. Let's start with... The big explosive thing that happened over the past two weeks, which is that after so many months of waiting, Batman v Superman was released. Yes.
0: Theatrically. Uh, how were the stats uh, in terms okay. of sales? In terms of sales, big success for the opening weekend. It already crossed the 500 million as we speak. Okay. And the movie apparently with all the budget and the publicity and everything is close to 400 million. So it is a very expensive movie. but they've passed it. So it's successful enough. But... On the negative side, and according to Forbes and Box Office Mojo and such, there are very worryingly big drops between the opening weekend to Sunday Monday. Do they attribute that to the word of mouth? That we were uh, well, about to we still don't know. Now, most superhero movies do their big sales on the opening weekend when everybody comes in anyway. But the drops are bigger than percentage wise than say your average Marvel movie. They tend to drop like forty percent and like. 20% while the Superman Batman movie drops like 50% and then another 30%. It's successful enough and there will be other movies. This right. Po- even if it was a failure, I don't think they would stop because at this point the DC train was hitched to the idea of the yeah. Batman Superman They've universe. committed to it openly. Yeah, There's no way that the movie, The Justice League movie was supposed to start shooting a month after. Anyway, the only thing that would have stopped that if would, the movie would have made zero dollars. And that else. was never going to yeah, happen yeah. realistically. Yes, it's a Batman v Superman movie. If I directed it, and you were Batman, and Chogdall uh, that I have there understand would have been Superman, it would still made at least $100 in on the opening yeah. weekend. Yeah, the names being... sell themselves up to yeah. a certain point.
1: However, first of all, let's clarify. Before we get into the mm. reviews, we do need to point out that neither of us have seen this movie. By because, choice. Because we don't want to. No. And that
0: actually connects to a lot of the critical I, I was offered a free ticket to a press screen, and I said, nah. I went to see youth by you by Paulo could,
1: Sorrentino instead. You could pumice your feet. Yeah. You could go dumpster diving. There are so many other things that you could do with two and a half hours. But let's be clear about something here. The reviews were... Thunderingly negative. I think that would be understating it to be... You know, that it's boring, that it's dark. It's right now less than
0: 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, yeah. Men of Steel, another movie that wasn't received super positively, ended up on the 50-60% scale. Okay. So this movie is less than half as good as Men of Steel. And
1: there's a really simple reason for that. Mm. And I think that All of the backlash to the negative reviews that have been coming up, right? DC fans wanting to defend their favorite franchises, etc. It's just been this ongoing flame war. But the thing is, with these critical reviews, it is very difficult to argue that anything that happens in Batman v Superman comes as a surprise, It's the same director, it's the same writer. We know that Snyder and Goyer view superheroes in general, and Superman in particular, in a very specific way. Now, you may like that. And if you do, then Batman v Superman was more of that. But if you didn't agree with Cavill's interpretation in the first place, coming to Batman v Superman and expecting anything other than here's some more of what we already had, seems to me a bit foolish. I understand the negative critique just because... Snyder's vision of what a superhero movie looks like based on Man of Steel is a slog. Like it's just boring to or get. Or Watchmen to. or 300. Exactly. Like it's slow and it's annoying
0: and boring. It's very boring. ponderous and pretentious. Ex- without uh,
1: super pretentious.
0: And without just now, pretension is I love pretentious comics, but you need to justify.
1: You have to have perspective. If you are really reinventing the wheel, it's okay. You can show that off. If you're not, don't act like giving Batman psychic visions is somehow revolutionary.
0: Okay. Because it's not. Now, the big problem, I think, for Warner Brothers is this was supposed to be their well, their second attempt after Man of Steel of creating their answers to the Marvel U movies. Now, by the sales and reviews, it's not going to be that. It can't be that because aside from being super successful, the Marvel Universe movies are also very popular and well-liked by reviewers, by the people who supposedly hate comic book movies. The (laughs) lowest-rated... The lowest rated Marvel movie on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic and such is somewhere on the 70% scale, 60, which means it's still fresh. DC fans apparently attribute this to
1: Marvel spending money to buy off critics in order to slant the reviews their way, at which point we should remind them that Ike Perlmutter is still around and he wouldn't pay like
0: for extra sodas. We should also remind them that Rotten Tomatoes is owned by WB. Right, so there's kind of a problem here. But, but... For the company, it's not important. You know, the Transformers movies are slotted critically even lower than anything Zack Snyder ever did. And they make a billion dollars per movie. So that would be fine. The question is... They're doubling down on Snyder. The big question is, if we continue to see drops, if the movie ends on less than, say, $700 million, which in today's global market of, you know, billion-dollar comic book movies, that's not a lot. If Batman v Superman makes less than, say, Iron Man 3... That's a problem because Iron Man Free is the end of something. You could end, and you know, 700 million is not bad. It's just bad if you compare it to The Avengers or, I don't yeah. know, Jurassic World. As far as I know, Disney but doesn't the, consider it a failure. Yeah, but if this was your opening gambit, this is more and like... it was. Yeah, this is more like if The Avengers would have ended with, say, 400 million. No, 400 million, a lot of money. And the Adventures is a cheaper movie to make and publicize than the than Batman v Superman. But as an opening gambit, as your this is our foot through the door, that could be problem. Now we'll see. By next weekend, we will um, know more. But yeah, but I think that here is really where the situation is sort mm-hmm. of
1: irreversible. There is no way for DC to apply any kind of changes at this stage. Like you said. As far as we know, they have already started working on the Justice League film. That with Zack Snyder. With Zack Snyder. So, my thing here is just being unclear as to not so much why the criticisms were negative, but why people were reacting to those criticisms as if it came as a surprise. Well, because they were. Again, there's what were a, they there's a, expecting no, there's a difference
0: between bad overall bad reviews. Man of Steel got divided reviews. Justice League yeah. got reviews on, paired with, I don't know, Fantastic Four. Sure, which but was really, really unexpected. I
1: think it's the, the worst review of Snyder like film. Go- that's certainly possible. Well, no, I think Sucker Punch got it worse. Sucker Punch was that's, pretty bad. It was pretty bad. But the thing with Batman v Superman and with I think with Man of Steel also is that when you look at the negative criticisms, they are repeating the same sentiment. In other words, the people who view Batman v. Superman negatively are the ones who are saying, look, I don't understand what Snyder is doing with Superman. I don't know why he's acting like Jesus. I don't
0: know why he's being such a creep. This isn't how Superman is supposed to be. If you ever read your New Testament, which you're not supposed to, you are, after all, a Jew. Uh, Atheist. Thank you. Nobody asked you. No. (laughs) If you ever read your New Testament, you remember that God sent Jesus on a rocket from heaven <laughs> when the that crashed the, in Kansas. When the celestial planes exploded. I mean That would make the New Testament far more
1: entertaining. I mean look, even in the trailer, like you saw that image of the, the disaster refugee like reaching her hand up to the sky and there Superman just hovering in front of the sun. It's like Shouldn't you be saving these people? No, because that's not how Snyder views these characters. And again, like we do okay. have to say, in all fairness, critics, while they are being overtly negative towards this movie, they have said Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman was apparently very good. Mm-hmm. Not around a whole lot. People but seem to like people Ben seem to Affleck like as Batman. Yeah, and you know what? I have to admit that mea culpa on my part because I didn't think he could pull it off well we haven't watched it so we don't know what's our opinion well no the, the, again the consensus, consensus. Here, there's an issue here of consensus of people okay. accepting him as Batman and I didn't
0: think that would happen. Okay, consensus is one thing. Yeah. You know, I don't always agree with critical consensus. On... Right, I'm that. one of the people who thinks Punisher Warzone is brilliant. And it's I li- like Barb And Moir. it's, and it's <laughs> lower rate. No, not even ironically. And it's lower rated than Batman v Superman. So we don't know. Shall we move on? Let's move on uh, to something a little bit better. Better reviewed?
1: Yeah, that would be nice. Better reviewed. So better reviewed and also something that we actually saw. Daredevil Season 2.
0: I actually haven't seen it to the end. I've seen 10 episodes. I, I won't say. spoil. Oh,
1: okay. So we can talk at least well, about it. Well, we're not, we're not going to spoil. In general. it terms. only
0: came out. Well, it's the Netflix era of binge watching or whatever.
1: Sure. Let me start with another mea culpa. Mm-hmm. This is just a week of me retracting all of my nonsense. You remember that I was a little skeptical about John Bernthal. As the Should Punisher. Should not have been. He blew that role mm-hmm. away. I have seen Four Punishers. He's the best. That's not saying much because the others were. Mm,
0: Again, I really like the Ray Stevenson Punisher really as a ca- Thomas Jane as the character and in the movie. From what I've seen, but I, I don't think it's bad. I do think there's a feeling of it not being as good, and maybe simply because it's not as fresh. Uh, I don't know. From what I've seen, I would really like it to have been a, like a mini series, like six to eight episodes, because there's feel like a lot of padding. I've started counting every time that Daredevil drops somebody on the floor and punches him like 12 times in a row. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if you cut all of these scenes, because he's doing it way too much, you know, you would have cut like two episodes of just that, of just Daredevil pushing somebody to the floor and doing the punch, 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 punch. Right. And it's even weirder in the context of uh, the season that's all about contrasting Daredevil versus the Punisher. Mm -hmm. Because whenever they're saying, you can't kill people, and I'm like, you just dropped somebody... After you talked about it, you just pull somebody with a metal chain to a two-meter drop, head to floor, steel floor. That guy is either dead or paralyzed for life. There's... That is actually... The overt brutality of the R rating that the show is trying to impose means that Daredevil is either a hypocrite or everybody in this world is made of concrete. Well, let me ask you this then, because this
1: is something that I was actively pondering as I was watching the show, is that the first episodes? In contrast to the first season, the second season has very clear arc structures. The first four episodes feature John Bernthal as the Punisher. Second four is the introduction of Elektra and everything that's going on over there. Last four episodes is the return of a character from the past who we're not going to talk about. Mm -hmm. But it is treated as sort of like the big conclusion where all of the threads come together. Now, did you feel during the course of the season that Daredevil is meant to be portrayed as a hypocrite? And is being punished for it because I completely agree with you. The initial setup between the confrontation of Daredevil versus the Punisher completely rests on this really, really great dialogue that they
0: have, I think, in episode three when they're on the roof. It's a cover version of the Garth Ennis's Punisher run in issue three. They have sure. Daredevil meeting the Punisher and the Punisher tying him up on the roof and forcing him to make a moral decision. Yeah, but I think that it lacks Ennis's, um, how can I put well, this? Well, in I'm Ennis's writing. version, it was on his Punisher title, and therefore yeah. the Punisher was- The Punisher is automatically right. Not, not so much in the right as in he said, well, with this character, there's no moral debate, he's not gonna change his mind anyway, so yeah. for Daredevil to argue with him is pointless, and the... here it's Daredevil arguing his point.
1: Also, because in the context of Netflix, people don't know who the Punisher is mm-hmm. yet, this is an introductory move. So you have this whole discussion between them, and they're talking about, like, the fact that they're both Catholic, and look, Castle is obviously lapsed. relaxed, yeah. Um, and then, as they're having this discussion, it, it puts forth very clearly the values of Daredevil doesn't kill and Castle does. And he said, there's a point where the Punisher just flat out says, you know, your way doesn't work because they come back. And Daredevil says in response, that's fine, I'll put them down again. So that's sort of like the endless moral discussion of superheroes. But the question is, because of what happens, you know, Matt Murdock's character arc in this season, do you think that he is being portrayed deliberately as being a hypocrite? Because he is knocking people off rules ju- and just drop think, kicking them in the face. Look, I and, think
0: that this, this discussion overall is pointless because yeah. unless you're working in the term of superhero universe, we don't want vigilantes punching anybody or killing anybody. Saying, well, would you prefer this type of vigilante or this type of vigilante in real life? I would say I would prefer neither of them. It would be
1: nice if they... Like, the world of Marvels, seems to suggest that these people are yeah, necessary. Yeah, but, but
0: it's not even a discussion that could be read as a metaphor for real life. Because yes. in real life, we don't want vigilantes... Well, I don't want them at all. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody walking around punching criminals without the backing of the law. I yeah. believe in, you know, the state should have sanction over and, violence. And the
1: question of mo- of morality and violence and how that all applies is sort of a problem for comics to deal with simply because of the conventions of the genre. Yeah. Like, what will superheroes do if not inflict violence? Now, the level of violence can change, right? Superman does punch his enemies. He doesn't kill them most of the time. But then you're saying, okay, if he punches a normal guy... Breaks his jaw, gives him brain damage. Like, is that any better? Mm.
0: Corbusier's Astro City in the Dark Ages storyline. There's this scene where one of these 1970s-era street heroes is confronted by his ex-partner after she killed somebody. And he says, well, you shouldn't kill people. And she's saying, what about all the people that you've punched with your super strong fists and left them lying in the streets? Are you sure they're all survived? Did you wait to know?" And there's this huge shot of his face and he's like, Considering every single person he's ever left crippled on the street, and he's like, "Oh my god!" And, yeah, and that's the only realistic response to that. Of yeah, if if Daredevil existed, he would have killed people by now. Someone even if he, would have died, if he, even if he didn't want to.
1: Yeah, and it's also mm-hmm. like the fact that they lean very heavily into the religious angle in order to explain yeah. why there is a really, really brilliant scene where, for a split second. I don't know if you've seen this one. Daredevil's like, let's try it your way. Mm. That would have been in episode 10, I think, on the boat. So I haven't you watched haven't it. You haven't seen it yet? No. Okay, so well, you'll get to that. But, you know, they do lean very heavily on the whole religious notion. But the problem with the religious angle is that if you commit murder, that is a sin. That's not like something that you can walk away from. Thou afterwards. shall not kneecap. Okay. Yeah. But, but anyway, let's, let's it's, get back to it. Yeah, my... It's not a bad show. You know, it's, it's not still... bad. I have to give props to Eldon Hansen and Deborah Anwall who play Karen and Foggy because this season really uh, boosted their performances and mm-hmm. they gave it 120% throughout the entire
0: season. They were both fantastic. Karen Page is better Lois Lane than every cinematic Isn't or she? television Lois Lane we've gotten in the and last. Listen, I
1: have to say, like, we're talking about
0: differences from the
1: comics, right? The sad fact of Karen Page's life is that in the context of Frank Miller's
0: run, nothing good ever came of her Well, actions. nothing good ever comes to anybody who ever met Daredevil in Frank Miller's run. But
1: deciding to have her take Ben Urich's place mm. was, I think, a stroke of genius because she was so perfectly fit for that. And the fact that she is still struggling with what she did last season and her relationship with the Punisher and all that, I just thought was absolutely brilliant. But we need to talk about Elodie Young.
0: We uh, need to talk uh, about Electra. I, I enjoyed her as an actress, but I don't like the from what I've seen up until now, I don't really enjoy their version of Electra. Uh, the character arc that they gave her. She started now, out I first. I have yeah, I have recently been rereading uh Frank Miller stuff. So, you know, his version of Electra is so different yeah. from her being like this fun loving thrill killer, basically. Well
1: the fun thing with Miller, I say fun in quotation marks, is that he told this story twice, right? Mm-hmm. There's the man without fear and there's the actual run. Two different Electras. Yes. In the original version, she was pretty much just a normal person and then her father was killed and she decided to, you know, right. become And, a, and then uh, we an had the SF and where she's basically a force of nature in human yeah. form. And in The Man Without Fear, like, she's sexually excited by violence, and she's this corrupting figure. That's really when you can tell the before and after Miller, so to speak, because she's a woman, after all. But the thing with Elodie Young is that when she's introduced, I think, in episode five, I really liked her. First of all, I mean, listen, there's no... Comparison here with Jennifer Garner, right? I mean, that's, no, no. that just gets swept under the well, rug. Well, again, it's not... J-
0: I don't like Garner as an actor, but it's not her fault. That was a badly reading yeah. movie. She had nothing to do.
1: So, like, that's just completely the last nail in the coffin. She starts out fun. And then there's no other way to put this but in the most typical term. They turn her into a damsel in distress. Well, and I haven't reached that point yet. No, that you would have absolutely. No, Uh not What? She, she, she gets hurt. She gets bad, hurt. Bad and bad from bad. that point, oh, it's like everything that she did. It gets very cliche right. at that point. And I, I don't know. When you
0: end this, you don't, you might want to watch like a Punisher series with John Barton after that season. Yeah. You oh, would, yeah. But oh you yeah. wouldn't want to see an Electra season. You wouldn't want to see what? an Electra show based on what they did with her here.
1: I feel like there's room to improve her because again, like what was very difficult for me was to understand why you have this 90 degree turn in the middle of the season. Because she starts out being this, you know, this fighter, this independent person. She's representing this very corrupting influence on Matt's life. And, uh, I mean, you see the flashbacks when they're together. And at the same time, when you see them, like in the past, it's clear that they're very much in love and that she's pulling him towards something. And that just completely disappears as soon as another character from the past comes back. We won't spoil. But it just sort of turns into this whole thing of what is she doing? What's going on? And I would have liked a bit more focus. I would have liked her to have a bit more consistency, a bit more agency. Kind of a disappointment. I will say, though, not Elodie Young's fault because she Mm. was fantastic In, in playing what she had like it's not her fault that the material was crap just as i guess we can attribute to jennifer garner
0: although her electro movie was like i wonder because she was jinx in gi joe too so are there any other red clad ninja women in comic book she could act she there could play yeah like specifically red clad ninja women that's yeah. her lot in life apparently mm-hmm. go for it she yeah. does it well
1: yeah that much is true uh,
0: another bit of tv news not a yes. review an actual news piece Amazon Prime will launch a live-action version of The Tick, a second live-action version of the character after the sadly short-lived 2001, I want to say, TV show. we call it a reboot. That's that's what they're calling it. And the big news is they have their star, which is going to be Peter Serafinowicz. Yeah, Patrick Warburton couldn't make it, unfortunately, due to scheduling conflicts. Also, he's probably a bit... Getting on in years right now, Warburton. Let's be fair though, Seraph and could pull it off. I mostly saw him in bit roles, like, you know, he was in Guardians of the Galaxy and he was in Space. He's a good comedy actor and he knows how to pick a project. I've never seen him in a main role, so I have no idea what... Exactly. Um, are me, we Neither of for... I. But then the
1: tick is more of
0: an ensemble. Yeah, but like he is the protagonist. But it's as much about also the... Warburton was a big guy, so he fit the physically the dim-witted tick. Yeah, Surfits is not what we say a muscle-bound giant of a man. No, but they could put him in like the yeah, blue the latex muscles. and
1: just make it look like that. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the news is not all good. Yeah, series yeah. creator Ben Edlund had this to say. I'm going to quote him here. We've got this show about superheroes where we get to have fun with the idea of superheroes by starting with kind of a comedic parody of an event oriented like universe. It'll be darker and more grounded. And it's going to have a real story, a real hero's myth. We're the ones that get to have fun with it, and that's kind of the situation right now where there's an open field in this area of entertainment. Because naturally, the Ticks fans were really into darker and more grounded material back in the day. It makes perfect sense. They couldn't find that anywhere else except the Ticks. So naturally, that makes the most amount of sense. Dark Tick. Sure. Dark Tick. Blood Tick. Sure. Sure. Why?
2: This is the thing. I that can't, I it's can't.
1: Ben Edlin, so you can't say he, he's that He's the creator of exactly. the Exactly. I just but I still don't well, understand Well what
0: I hope they're gonna do is they're gonna do a whole dark universe and the tick is in the middle acting his usualness. No, they said that like he's getting a well, hero's we, journey. We, we, well, was, well we don't but know but it's a tick it, it could be hilarious. Spoon if, if you, is not dark. No 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 but if you play it right, it could be hilarious. Because up until now, every version of the tick that I've read he was a ridiculous character stuck in a ridiculous universe. Yeah. But if you take this ridiculous character and you stick him in the middle of, say, dark and greedy universe, it becomes even funnier. I remember in the animated series, the very first episode, they had him meeting a version of the Punisher. Okay. And, you know, doing this big dramatic speeches and shooting guns everywhere. And things like, what? what are you doing? Superheroes don't use guns. That was hilarious. Yeah, but on the other hand, the problem mm. is that if you expect mm.
1: there to be any kind of appeal for the entire universe right because the tick wasn't just the tick it was batman well and it was uh, lady liberty and, and all those characters and they were appealing as well if you just take the tick and plant him into watchmen world it'll be funny but that's not a joke that lasts an entire well, season
0: we'll see I'm I'm still interested. Dark Tick. I I don't know. Uh, any more news? Previews. Previews. Uh, we'll start with Marvel. Yes. And we'll finish them very quickly because it's all Civil War two. Yeah.
1: Anyway, uh, first of all, let's point out there have been some stealth cancellations at Marvel. Oh, okay. Angela, Queen of Hell, and Hell in Commandos were both axed well, with no su- announcement. Super low sales. Not not surprised. a surprise. I'm not going to say that it's a surprise, but I am going to say that it's unfortunate that Marvel have decided to ape Image and naturally end up picking up their worst trait. For solicitations to be a thing that happens, if you want readers to get excited about your ridiculously overpriced, flimsy monthly titles that you're advanced soliciting three, four months in advance, you need to be mindful of the fact that not everyone sits with a magnifying glass and pours over the previews and tries to find out what isn't there. I'm not saying that these cancellations aren't justified in terms of the market. Yes, Angela Queen of Hell and Howling Commandos and... um uh Not Weird World, Black Knight. Yeah. Those three books sold abysmally. We knew that they would. That doesn't come as any kind of surprise. The issue is, though, if you are going to pull the plug, you have to say so. You cannot be sweeping cancellations. This goes for Image 2. We've talked about this. You can't be sweeping cancellations under the rug and then expect the people who have invested in it and who have paid, like, listen, even if Angela sells 5,000 copies, that's still presumably 5,000 readers. And they don't know what happens next, right? Because you're not telling them that this book is coming back, it's going there, it's it's over. Sometimes the writers get to sort of write a little quick letter page at the very end. It's like, so this book is dead. It was the same with egos. You get to the end, you're like, well, why the hell
0: did I sit through all that? I've recently reread Kirby's Omec, mm-hmm. the original uh, eight-issue run, and you can see that he was forced to end it in the middle of drawing the last issue because... There's this plot, plot, plot in issue eight, and you think, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to start a new arc, and then in the last page, I'm going to spoil the 50-year-old comic, <laughs> last page, the giant brother-eye satellite crashes into Earth and everybody dies. Literally, in one page, all the plot that's been happening is like, gone. It Bans. happens. Yeah.
1: It happens. And we've seen stealth cancellations countless times. The difference, though, is that up until very recently when you have these cancellations, in the previews, it'll say final issue. Hmm. That is the minimum commitment that you have to do. It's like Marvel doesn't want to admit that some of their books are failing because maybe flooding the market with 70 titles wasn't such a good idea. But instead of you know stepping up and saying, okay, these books are getting canceled,
0: they're hoping people just won't notice. It's an incredibly stupid tactic, but it's Marvel. Um, I want to talk about a trade review. Please talk about it. Wa- I want to start with Marvel's big announcement, by which I mean this book is very big and nothing else. Mm. Spider-Man Clone Saga Omnibus, Volume 1, written by Terry Kavanagh, James DiMatteo, Toe DeZango, Howard Mackey, Tom DeFalco, Tom Brevert, Mike Kenton, and more, with art by Stephen Butler, Liam Sharp, Phil Gossier, Mark Begley, John Romina Jr., blah, blah, blah. Volume 1, which means they're going to be Volume 2 of, I think, the oh, most... God. Either the most hated or the second most hated Spider-Man story ever. It's what a big toss-up with uh, One More Day. Ooh. But One More Day was at least just four issues, and this is yeah, 400 we, issues or so, I'd But say. One More Day had Gwen Stacy
1: having on-panel sex with Norman Osborn. No, that
0: so. seems best.
1: One more that That might actually be the worst, <laughs> the worst one because it's like yeah. you see her arching yeah, on the but, bed but, yeah. and his
0: goblin o face and yeah. none of that needed to happen. Yeah, but these are short <laughs> stories and really how bad was the Clone Saga? Oh God. Wizard in their most boot licking moments even said it was a bad story and that was in the point where in Wizard's history where they would never say anything bad no. about anything Marvel or DC ever did. I think the reason that people always go
1: back to the Clone Saga is like one of the worst products of the 90s excess is because if you strip away all the nonsense at its core there was a pretty decent idea right this clone comes in ben riley and he claims to be the real peter parker obviously genetically they're identical and then the original concept for the clone saga was always to be that the peter parker we knew was the clone and
0: they either chickened out or the fans rebelled. They, I don't they changed their it opinions about a dozen times. At first, he was the clone. Then he wasn't the clone. Yeah. Then he was the clone. Then he wasn't the clone. And, and at that like... point, it was just like, well, if you've shot yourself in the foot, you might as well just squeeze as much. People
1: didn't take to the idea of, well, the last 20 years of Spider-Man have been a fake man. I think it's because in the 90s, people just weren't... Like, if you were to do that story today... You could have gone into this whole thing of identity, and does it matter if he doesn't, if he isn't really Peter Parker, he believes he was, and, and, you know, you could have done a lot with
0: that. $125, by the way. Not for volume one of the Well, God if you, if you home want to toss saga. a brick at somebody, well, a brick is cheaper, right? It is. You could yeah. pick up a brick for free at a construction site. It
1: would not cost us $125. That's stealing, Sean. That's speaking, wrong. speaking, however, of events, if we're going to talk about yeah. the Home Saga, uh, let's not forget that First of all, Civil War two, as you pointed out, is happening. It's a thing that exists. And if you were perhaps not interested in Civil War two, which by the way, the first issue is five ninety nine. Fifty six so, pages. Uh for the price of two sixths of a single story arc, you could go watch a movie. By for the way, half is the, fir- of the arc you Is the first
0: it. issue number one or is it number zero or is I'm it I'm pretty a- sure it's no, no no, it's number one because but it's 599 uh, because they have a number 0 and they have something else like Civil War, Return of the Revenge of the Choosing Sides if
1: for whatever reason and i can think of so many but if you decided that you don't want to read Civil War you might be happy to know that there are three other events that Marvel have scheduled for 2016 simultaneously. Spider-Man will be doing Dead No More. X-Men will be doing Apocalypse War, followed by Death of X. Not
0: mentioning the currently running Spider-Fly effect between the Spider titles the and... Spider-Women
1: is happening right now. Okay, so basically, if you don't want
0: to... Oh, be... and stand-off is still ongoing, right? Stand-off, I think, just finished. Really? I, ju- I yeah. think it launched two months ago. That was fast. Um, Mar- for Marvel, that was I pretty mean, fast. I mean, listen. so if you like events, Marvel is for you. If you don't like events, it's 95% of Marvel is that right now.
1: I made the painful decision and it was painful. It was really, really hard for me to do it to just be like, this is where the buck stops. The price increases are spreading across the line. Yep. More and more books are becoming $5. Without justifying it. They don't have any greater page length. They're not doing anything differently on digital. The pages are not not made from chrome and gold. And they're not tax deductible. So I don't know why. I just don't know why. Period. And then I made the very difficult decision finally to stop reading marvel this isn't a boycott i'm not urging other people to say i just think i have nothing anymore
0: there are better comics out there for cheaper prices and i can't do it
1: it's not only that most of the books that i was tentatively interested in in the last reel of the post secret wars relaunch so what Dan Abnett's Hercules, the Fazekas and Butters, Captain Marvel, Al it's all Avengers, getting, Al, all of Avengers, Al the new Avengers, Ultimates, Demets. Wade's all new Avengers, it's all getting roped into Civil War 2. And I made the decision that I cannot do it anymore. Which
0: apparently is an event based on the Inhuman cycles because Marvel haven't given up on the thought that somebody cares about the Inhumans. Nobody does. Okay. No. You've tried Three times to launch a big Inhumans push. You've made them into an event. You gave them three ongoing series. You actually made... The main metaphor of the Inhumans is that they're killing off the X-Men by their very existence. You see, readers? They are better. Just being the Inhumans are better than the X-Men. And nobody cares. You're no. selling 20,000 a month of this title. This supposedly <laughs> major thing. The sad thing is that they crippled the X-Men franchise in order to get yeah. there. So... Broke the left foot, by the right one. Uh, another thing, yeah. n- not a trade review, just an oddity. Please give me something else to think about besides just quitting the Marvel books. Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, prose novel. Oh, boy. Hardcover by a person called Paul Surley, based, of course, on the Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. version of the origin of Daredevil. Well, it was beautifully written, to be fair. Yeah, but... Who's novel it's because say what you will about 1980s Frank Miller and people said many negative things he was a comics creator of he wasn't just a guy who told stories that happened to be in the medium of comics no no, no. he was a guy who thought about the form oh yeah and the medium it's one and of at the, the point of the man without fear he hadn't completely deteriorated yet uh, no, not at, no not at all so it's one of these things where you're trying it's not just adapting a story now Marvel has been doing that a lot recently. And adapting, I don't know, Secret Wars, the original one, into a into a book. Well, I think it's a crappy story, but it's just a story with lots of characters. You can't do that. Yeah. Adapting a Frank Miller peak comic book into a book, it's like trying to adapt Watchmen into a novel. I'm no, it's a very- whether
1: they might be marketing this towards. People who watch the Netflix show and don't read the comics. Yeah. But then on the other hand, that's even weirder Again, because it's
0: a version of the origin that we've already seen. Well, they've been doing that a lot recently, right? They have many, many books and audiobooks. Miss Marvel, her first two storylines, got an audiobook adaptation from uh, hmm. Graphic Audio. I could see that. Yeah, and you know, like I- some of
1: these things make sense. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy novels, like, you could have an entire novel line about
0: Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. that are up there and, space that and added, adventure. Yeah, and then Abner did the Groot, mm, Rocket Raccoon graphic novel, mm-hmm. and not graphic novel, prose novel. It was very fun. Yeah. It was a fun space adventure comedy. What would The Man Without Fear look like as a prose novel? I... Because I just imagine somebody's, you know, just writing up the plot and then trying to ape for the dialogue, uh, Miller's style of hard-boiled poetry, and it's 300 pages. Yes, so that's a hell of a novel. Like, well, it's not... a it's a hardcover, so it's like you know big spaces and big words. So I <sighs> assume I assume it's more like you know 150 pages if you actually put it in a trade as a, trait, as that a paperback. That would make more sense, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we'll see. Well, I'm not, not going to read it. it. No, I mean... But
0: we'll see. We'll see what comes of it. Uh, DC. DC. DC have started their rebirthing. Yes, their waters have broken. <laughs> they're in labor. And, and as we've discussed uh, before the podcast, it seems to be mostly musical chairs. There are some new creators and some creators who were DC at the past coming back, but mostly it's just people being shifted. Can uh, I be completely honest with you and say mm-hmm. that first of all, like, these June solicitations,
1: I know that I'm sounding completely unenthusiastic. It's because I am. The thing with DC, like the Rebirth uh, event, everything that's coming out now, they've managed to cancel all of the books that I was already reading. So Grayson's gone, Midnighter's gone, Omega Men is gone, Black Canary is gone. All of that's gone. And... There's nothing. Well, Omega me. Man was meant to be finished. With sure, 12, I mean, anyway. again, like we knew it was coming. I was holding out hope that maybe they would try to reboot it anyway because Tom King is now exclusive. Yeah, yeah, but he it was a terrible seller, so uh. I
0: can't blame them.
1: Anyway, so uh going, of over, of Tom... I went over this solicitation text again. There is not a single DCU book here really? that I want to read. Not uh, okay. one
0: for me. It's Batman, Batman by Tom King. Why? We Because it's Tom King. But you
1: remember when we talked about this, when the announcement that DC was giving exclusivity to Tom Mm -hmm. King, right? They signed him on. And we talked about this at the time. We said the reason that Tom King has done so well with Grayson and with the Vision is because these are characters that are not... A listers, and because they're not A listers, King had a lot of artistic freedom. Especially at the end of Nightwing, at which point nobody cared anymore what was going on with Nightwing. No, no, I'm talking Ah. about the previous book, right? had been written so poorly uh, before Forever Evil yeah, that nobody really cared. So it gave him the freedom that he needed to say, okay, let's try something completely insane. Let's take Dick Grayson and make him a super spy and see what happens with
0: that. He had that freedom. Are you telling me that you expect him to have the same freedom with Batman? I don't know, and we'll see. DC have shown willingness to give somebody who's successful the leeway because Scott Snyder basically had to run off the place once he proved he was their big star. And if Tom King can leverage that, I'm fine with that because I prefer Tom King to Scott Snyder from what I've read so far. I just don't see him having the kind of impact. I mean, you're talking about
1: Snyder. For all that Snyder tried to go like, The Joker is an elemental force of nature. Well, again, I didn't didn't really like.
0: I didn't. I didn't like. It turned out to be a
1: big honking lie. None of that was true. It ended up resetting. Again, I think Snyder killed Batman off two, three times during the course of his run, and it always snaps back. Well, that's Snyder. That's not DC. No, it's
0: DC. No, no, it's DC
1: saying you have to go back to. You cannot have a storyline in which Bruce Wayne is not
0: bad. I disagree. I think Snyder has a very uber mythological Baroque style and the Morrison
1: man... didn't yeah
0: and Morrison had how to bring how did ring... Morrison's run end right back to the yes. start okay so that's it not... can't be so that's what Morrison does and that's what no Starter no it, it can't be a coincidence that these two
1: writers who are very mm. different like they're not the same and yet when they both write Batman for all that they can go to the future and bring this character in and kill that character off they will always go back to the start because Batman is not a character that you can change you can't Batman has not substantially changed since 1987. That's what it is, right? To this day, for all, they're going to decide that this this Joker... He's not meant to change. He's Batman. Then why are you putting Tom King on it? Tom because he's King, a good writer. But the thing that defines Tom King's quality as a writer is the fact that he puts inventive twists on existing concepts. So the Vision is not an Avenger. He's off living in suburbia,
0: and he's built himself a family, and what's going on with his family? I don't think, because limiting Tom King to, oh, he's the guy who just does a second you know, C-list revivals. Why not? It's what he's done. What, he's what done was up the Omega Man in- before yeah, that? Yeah, but what he, that's what he's done up until now. That's not okay. saying he can't change, no, that he can't but do it's anything saying, else. No, but it's explicitly saying that this book is not playing to the strengths that we know that he has. Well, Maybe, Anyone can write that. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Anyone can write that. I'm sorry. Batman. Maybe I'll find new strengths. Just saying, well, obviously he can't do that for me. He can't. Then. He can no,
1: he we'll can't, see.
0: because whatever he manages to contribute here will be nullified with the next
1: relaunch. It doesn't I matter. Care.
0: I don't care about the next relaunch. I care about what he's doing now. Okay. What else you um, That one is, uh, I'm on the fence on Dan Abnett on Aquaman. I I like Dan Abnett a lot, mm. and I think it's one of those, I don't care for Aquaman, I don't hate him, <laughs> I don't love him. It's just, uh, Aquaman. Aquaman's a tough sell. But... Uh, if Abnett is allowed to just pull him away from the mainstream DCU and portray him like apparently he dies here as more like a big fantasy title which takes place under the sea, that's a fun thing. And Abnett can not do that. Didn't Peter David try that? Yeah, well, it didn't work. Yeah. But what didn't work for Peter David could work for Dan Abnett. Mm, maybe. I'm interested enough. And okay. I should probably. Will you be reading Dan Gergen's Return? No. Will you be reading Scott Lobdell? No.
1: Will you be reading Jeff Johns?
0: No. <laughs> More but, of the same, well, I'm telling it's, you. It, it's been announced. It's not in the June solicits yet. But Hope Larson on Girl is something I'm uber curious about. Great. I should probably mention, since we've talked Miller before, uh, Batman Year One is getting the absolute treatment. Batman Year One okay. by Miller and Mazzucchelli. It's a great book. It's still year one. And it's, yeah. and it's Mazzucchelli. So it's one of these artists that are... Rightly needed to be seen, you know, super sized, extra large launch colors
1: and everything. Another thing that brought a bit of attention to the relaunch is that Greg Rucka is back on Wonder Woman mm-hmm. with Liam Sharp. Now, you're going to have to contextualize this for me because here's what I remember. Rucka's run was critically, uh, Acclaim. praised and ended very, very poorly. I haven't. When that that was, he did the one with the whole Maxwell Lord thing, right? Where she twists his head upside. Yeah, down. Yeah, that was in
0: Secret, uh, not Secret, uh, Infinite Crisis, right? They the basically Final Crisis. I forgot. No, no, Infinite Crisis. Infinite Crisis. Yeah, Jeff Johns okay. Infinite Crisis. In the crossover, they had Wonder Woman doing one thing, so he was kind of forced to follow.
1: Uh,
0: um. It was critically acclaimed and not very high-selling, but that's a Wonder Woman for you. But hang on.
1: Have you noticed a common trend with all of these musical chairs? What baffles me here is that DC, uh, again, I should say, is hedging their bets on horses they know have already lost. Scott Lobdell has tanked every—and this is not a criticism of Scott Lobdell. Because, you know, some of his stuff in the early 90s, I can still read it and be like, eh, it's fine. Scott Lobdell has statistically, right in terms of pure numbers, tanked every single book DC
0: has put him on in the last five years. Whether it was Red Hood or the other one, no, Red Hood was surprisingly successful financially for a book starring a trio of characters nobody cared about. Red Hood sold. No, Red, good. not Red Hood. What was the other one? the The one that made Starfire out to be a bimbo. That was Red Hood and the Outlaws. So it crashed. Like no, 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 uh, no, no. Critically, it wasn't very well liked. It it sold. Pretty good for you know a third rate title over thirty thousand if I remember correctly a month. That's not exactly high for, praise for, th- for these type of titles. It is not mm. high praise, a good seller. So again, I I don't like Lobdell. I, oh no I, no
1: no no no! Hang on, he did Doomed.
0: Yeah, okay. there you go. That's the one I was looking for.
1: Red Hood. I don't know what
0: was. And on Morrison did wildcats which ran for one issue. Your point. No, that was the authority actually. No, the authority ran for two issues. He's Wildcats oh. ran for one. Oh, no,
1: listen, it was the disastrous rebirth that nobody, nobody read. Had. But when you talk about Morrison's Wildcats, let's keep in mind that sales-wise, again, set mm-hmm. aside the critical perspective. Sales-wise, how much did Multiversity do? I don't remember. It did pretty well. Yes, is the point, right? Or uh, Seven Soldiers of Victory. It wasn't, like, the top seller of all time, no. or record breaker, but it did well. Like, there are people that you can count on to be consistent. Scott Lobdell isn't one of them. And neither is Dan Ergens, to be completely honest. Like, the la- what was the last thing that he did? I haven't seen... He er- did Superman up until recently, if I remember correctly. And Superman sold so... I'm not going to say sold poorly by regular standards, but clearly... By Superman standards, But wasn't the whole point of Rebirth that they're not happy with the sales from DCU? Isn't that the only motivation Uh, they have to do the relaunch? Why then would you take the exact same creators, move them around to different books? It's like they think that the books are the problem, but they're not. It doesn't matter if Scott Lobdell is writing Doomed one day, and then the next day he's doing whatever, uh, the Detective Comics... It doesn't matter. This is a person who is not capable of giving you the sales that you want. Rucka's Wonder Woman ended the way it did because for sales purposes, in order to boost his numbers, they roped him into Infinite Crisis and it went splat. Why then would you bring him back to another run? I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand the logic here. As if the number one is reason enough. But you and I know, Tom, we have been... We've through, through this so many times. The number one means nothing. We know this for a fact. So I don't. Know. That's the sum of DC I'm not, strategy. I'm not,
0: I'm not DC comics. I don't know. I I wouldn't do that I just either. Don't. But and just to add
1: insult to injury, just to piss me off that much further. No new Vertigo launches.
0: Well, I think they finished. They announced twelve titles, and they have been 12, twelve titles. Uh no. Some of them got. Canceled. No, some of them got cancelled yeah. after five issues. Okay, but, yeah.
1: but but again, like this is a new wave, whatever. Vertigo is yeah. just dying on the like I I'm pretty sure the only thing mm-hmm. that keeps it alive is Astro City.
0: Mm-hmm. There's no other book Sh- there. Sheriff in- of Babylon is great. We should we no, should but, review like, it when the comes out. What's in double digits now at Vertigo? Oh no but Vertigo has never been aside from fables over the last ten years, Vertigo has never been a double digit type of book. Not true. Why The Last Man Beforehand. That, and- that's over ten years now. Yeah, but since then I'm I'm saying Vertigo is always not lately, ever since Karen Berger left, it's been like well. Vertigo for a long, long time. Even when Karen Berger was there, was always a company of they have one or two titles which are big sellers and big sellers by Vertigo standards is like eighteen thousand a month. And everything else always trailed behind on 10000 or less. Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, no, sales-wise, yes. But Sweet Tooth ran for what, 40 issues? Yes. Uh, DMZ ran for
0: how long? And they're evergreens. The question is, will the new Vertigo titles, is any of them going to be an evergreen? Something that's always Unlikely. on the shelf with trades. I doubt it. Will people read The Last Gang in town years from now? No. I don't know. I've read the first issue, it was fine. Yeah. But and- I think part of the
1: problem now is I say problem as if it's a problem it's for a DC is, is that image, DC? G- image exists. It's not just that image exists. Image manages to do, and we'll get to image shortly. They manage to do writ large what DC is trying to do with like the pocket imprint of vertigo. But the problem is when you have a market that is full of choices, right? And literally any book that you take could be really good as some of image's output or could be mediocre as most of Vertigo's. There's no reason for us as customers, as consumers, as readers to just accept mediocrity just because. Yeah. It's not our job to keep Vertigo afloat. That's the thing. Like, You want to do the dark and bloody. If it's average, we have no reason to keep buying it. There were a lot of books that were coming out in the 90s in Vertigo and you read them simply because, like, where else were you going to go? If you wanted something a little different. If you wanted something that wasn't superheroes or if we're talking like early 90s and, you know, uh, string bikinis and pouches. In superheroes. In superheroes. Like, that that was all there was. So you had to go to Vertigo. And now it's like the bar has been raised. And if you do not make the slightest effort to get there, I don't understand why you think you are then entitled mm-hmm. to our money. Is what it uh, is. Dark Horse? Anything? Two points of interest to Dark Horse. One is more of like a historical okay. event.
0: Okay. Not
1: something that I'm so much interested in, but Hellboy in Hell Number 10, mm. Mike Mignola. This is the big finale. He has come out and said that this is the end of Hellboy's story. For,
0: for now. He might come back. And there will be other Hellboy titles because there's the all the prequels oh, yes. out. Oh, yes. Yes, Hellboy, BPRD, AD, AEA, the Hellboy in 1953.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a whole franchise at this point. Yes. But in terms of the core... The can, big Hellboy story. Can you call it the core story,
0: though? Yes, yes.
1: Because the interesting thing with Hellboy was that at, after book five, it just sort of like split into two different directions.
0: So Yeah, Mignola doing one thing and letting everybody yeah. else, filling the gaps and building the world around him. So, you Look, know, the end of Hellboy's story. Yeah, That'll we're we're both not huge Hellboy fans, but you have to respect the fact that he's created this sort of mini universe to himself and mm. it's consistent. Yeah. No, I, I'm not. And I'm it not seems a fan.
1: to be selling well enough that Dark Horse are willing to keep yeah. it around.
0: I'm not a super big fan of it, but whatever you know. If you like it, it's great. And there's never been, as far as I know, anything embarrassing about it. No, there's never been like, oh, a terrible Hellboy story. Please forget it existed. No,
1: M- Minola has been consistent
0: yeah. overall. Yeah, and he chooses um, good creative teams and you know yeah. great people work on it. So you know, respect. It's over 20 years now. 20 years of keeping things on such high level, unheard of. I think. Not just for one title, for, for an entire a franchise. Full li- a full line of books that also has not been exploited. Like, and it's not like 50 hell books. And it has years. a consistent continuity within yeah. it. You know, it's a grand experiment at this point. We're Detective by uh, Fred Valenta and Guy Villanova. Mm-hmm. I've read the first serial of that when it was in Dark Horse Presents last year. I don't think I finished because I dropped. Darkwatch presents still ongoing. It's a fun, well, as you can say by the name, weird detective type of thing in which the detective is as big as a scary monster thing as the monsters he's supposedly hunting. Okay,
1: mm-hmm. there's some kind of Cthulhu connection. Based yeah, on the yeah,
0: cover. and. You know, as the name says, it's very—it's a bit self-aware about, you know, at this point, Weird Detective <laughs> is a genre by itself. What's not clear to me, is this just a reprint of the material that Rand and Dark Horse Presents, or is it brand new stories? I don't think so, because the tagline in the solicitation text was that it's the newest original series. Because Dark Horse has been, in the past printing the Dark present stuff in trade paperbacks. But, but is there enough there for five issues? Well, I again, I've stopped reading it. Because it's eight-page installments, you could have... I think there's a bit like six parts when I've stopped. So it's enough for like two 40 issues pages. or three yeah. issues. And it's a 40-page issue, so... Right. Maybe it's all of it. Maybe it's just everything that they've printed before and then they're going to launch that into... Right, another. it could just be like mm-hmm. the first issue is the reprint of the entire story and mm-hmm. now it's like new stuff it's possible um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that if if it's that because they should announce reprinting yeah, the material make it clear. but if it's not that it's fine it's
1: been a while since I've seen Van Lande on anything but I do remember liking some of his stuff yeah, back yeah. in the day again so. his
0: Hercules run with Jeff Parker is one of my favorite Marvel books of the okay. 2000s okay so sure mm. Image? anything else no okay um, okay. This one from the reprint <laughs> page for me. Adventures in the Ra- Rifle Brigade TPB by Garth Ennis and Carlos Esquerra mm-hmm. It's a collection of the long, long out of print comedy World War II title, which was very Ennis-like in which it was very rude and over the top and bonkers as hell and funny. It's a comedy title. It's funny. A group of English misfits in search for Hitler's lost testicle. <laughs> <laughs> And Carlos Escura. That's, and it's all yeah. over. And it's Carlos Escura drawing, so it's good. 15 bucks for, for 144 pages. Sure. That's some good value for money
1: right there. You might be experiencing some deja vu with what I'm about to tell you. She Wolf number one by Rich Tomaso is a surreal horror book about a girl who may have been bitten by a werewolf. If you're getting flashbacks to Cry Wolf, you are not alone. See, Cry what, Havoc. See sorry. what
0: I thought was, and I actually asked him on Twitter, is this uh, crossover with Wolf? Is this like a side book for Alice Susskopf's Wolf? It's not. It's not. But it would have been fun. Alice Coates' Wolf or Cry Havoc, which Uh had the exact same premise. You didn't like uh, the end of Rich Tomas's previous series. Uh, What what was was it? Dark Order. We both oh, liked the first issue and you yeah. said you've read it till the end and you didn't like it. I it went a bit it. off the rails for I, I like it. I'm going to give this one a shot. All right. Another another TPB. Yeah. Uh, the Legacy of Luther's Throat. Oh, That's oh, the oh, final oh, oh. of the trilogy of miniseries by Justin Jordan and Fred Moore. Mm. I really liked the first one. The second one was, to me, a bit of a letdown because it dropped any pretension of having something interesting to say about yeah. violence and representation. Yeah. It, it was basically just... A long, very drawn out brawl. But, it, was, it was for Treadmore's benefit. Yeah, I think. yeah. So, like, and you nuts. know what? I'm willing to let go of any pretension of this being intelligent. If it's just gonna be Treadmore drawing violence, which which that, it probably. Will. That's what Treadmore <laughs> does, right? Treadmore is very good with violence.
3: Yeah, I'm in
1: it. You know, it's I'm in thing. it to win it. At Image, there's a bunch of series coming back from hiatus, mm-hmm. and the hiatus has actually started like this month or last month. So, Birthright, Descender, I Hate Fairy Tale, Paper Girls, Lazarus, and most surprisingly. Chief of Thieves by Andy Diggle, which I swear I thought was canceled because the last issue must have been like last July or Somebody something Somebody like stole that. it from the previews and then brought it back. Wow. I did not expect them to come back for more. And then just to have it be like... But then this just goes to show you how Image views their books so differently because they didn't renumber it. Hmm. It's just like, yeah, number 40, whatever. We're coming back. It's okay. It's same creative team, whatever. Also, our... Biweekly note of appreciation island got solicited yeah it's still around
0: and Brendan grams gave us uh advanced information regarding issue nine so it's still okay i think it's apparently it's moving to be bi-monthly now fine yeah whatever you need to do to keep it going to keep it to keep the engine going to keep the stories
1: coming in to maintain some level of quality do not pull a peter panzer faust on us at the very least, like if you gotta go, wrap up the stories that are still being sequentially. If you published.
0: needed to buy three copies a month, I would
1: buy. Uh-huh. I don't know that I go that far because you can't uh-huh. really buy more than one copy on Comixology as far as I know. It's good that it's still around. Mm-hmm. I know that it's not for everyone, but like sometimes you find gems, just yes. diamonds in the rough, and it's worth it.
0: Uh, IDW? IDW, what do you got? Uh, sad note for me, Transformers vs. G.I. Joe 13, it's apparently the end of the series. Aww. They haven't mentioned the end, but you know, in the solicits, it's the end is nigh, the final battle erupts Armageddon, and it's 48 pages. That'll do it. It's $8, by the way, which is ridiculously expensive for 48 mm-hmm. pages. Mm-hmm. But, um. But you're I'm, a CO fan, you can uh, yeah, go for yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. If, if it would have been $12, I would probably have bought it anyway because. God damn, I love that series. Yeah. And so if, sad.
1: And if, 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 if it's actually for... the end, so sad. But if is going for the big climactic mm-hmm. knockout,
0: yeah, the series and it was planned. I'm sure. Uh, well, the yeah. series is really it's over the over the top at yeah. this point. I'm gonna spoil a bit for people reading it by issue eight. Earth has been destroyed. Okay. That's what happened in issue eight. And, That's unusual? And yes, and most of humankind has been extinted and they still keep the Transformers vs. G.I. Joe ongoing. There's still a battle going on on Cybertron. What more could you ask for? And how was it destroyed? I'm afraid Cybertron impaled it on its horns. Cybertron, Cybertron has planets. horns, yes, has horns. Has horns that are what? Impaled Earth and destroyed how, it. How did that destroy Earth? Have you ever seen a planetary-sized horn? It's very big. Like the whole Earth? Yes. <laughs> like, like Shish
1: Kebab did? Yes. Okay. It's amazing. Listen, Tomsi only knows what he's doing. What can I tell you? Yeah. Uh, um. Here's something interesting. TMNT, Teenage Mutant Ninja mm. Turtles, Bebop, and Rocksteady destroy everything. This is A ben, weekly. A weekly title. Ben Bates and Dustin Weaver. We got a whole bunch of artists here. Sophie Campbell, Damien Cusero, Nick Pitara. Time
0: travel hijinks with Bebop and Rocksteady. I've heard weirder premises. Uh, TMNT from IDW has been on a very good run. I really like the series. I really like all their spinoffs that they did. The KC in April, the Mutant Animals. The big problem with that is that they're raising up the prices and dropping content. Uh, here As far- we go. A friend of mine who was reading it in trade said he dropped it because the trades have been keeping the $20 prices while dropping the number of issues per trade every single time and they're now... Three issues per trade. What? For $20. 96 pages? Something like that, yeah. Kiss my hump. What are you yeah, kidding me? it's super expensive. <laughs> Unless you buy it in issues. I apparently. mean, IDW, come on. What are you doing? Yeah,
1: yeah, you're not Marvel. I mean, look, I'm willing to stipulate that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles maybe aren't as hot a franchise now as they were 20 They're
0: years ago. They're super hot. The last movie made a billion dollars. Uh, not a billion, like no. like 400 million. The you know? Michael Bay movies? Yeah, it was super successful. They're, the sequel is coming out this year. Whatever. And there's still the TV show, which is now... The la- latest TV show is now on season three, I think. There's always a generation of new viewers. And it's not translating to sales of no. books. Because mm.
1: I. the only reason IDW would be doing something like this would be if the sales were tanking.
0: Mm. Action Man number 1 by John Barber and... Paolo Villanelli. Okay, now I'm gonna try and explain this as far as I know. Please. Action sir. Man was the British version of G.I. Joe, in which the G.I. Joe force were an international team, like a Euro based super team. Okay. So they reprinted some of the Marvel stuff, but changed the names and changed the, you know, positions of the characters. Oh. But then they, it became its own thing. And then they had different version. I think there was a TV show where it was like this super athlete with the part to like stop time and think, you know, all the angles through. So it's IDW. This is some terms and conditions convolution here. I have no idea well, what Well, it's you're IDW about. is buying a franchise. That's what IDW does. Uh, that they do. Uh,
1: so what do we know about uh, this? Uh, he's action?
0: the world's greatest special agent until he dies saving the planet. Now his young protege has to step into role whether he's ready or not. So it's a sidekick stepping in role.
1: Well, that's a nice device for introducing mm. people to a I, I, I was guess.
0: never Joan Barber he never did anything bad, but nothing that he did on himself because he's he's co-writing uh, Transformers Fest at G.I. Joe, but nothing he did by himself ever blew me away. Like one other thing from IDW that caught my eye, mm. uh, Tales from the Dark Side. This is by Joe Hill and Gabriel
1: Rodriguez. Hill's making a name for himself in mm. horror. Uh, this is a four-issue adaptation of, now this was news to me, I hadn't even heard of it, episodes that Hill wrote for a reimagining of Tales from the Dark Side that never actually happened. There
0: was an attempt to reimagine Tales from the Dark Side? Why? I don't know. Who? Because Tales from the Dark Side, it's like you have the Twilight Zone, then the Outer limits then like 500 levels below that Tales from the Dark Side. Well, you missed one. Above the Twilight Zone was Tales from the Crypt. Really? Oh yeah. Really? Only
1: because John Kassir, as the Crypt Keeper was I, ten times the host you, that William Shatner could see, ever. See, I'm, I'm
0: afraid. Uh, have you heard? Or Serling, ta- I'm sorry. Have you heard the news about Tales from the Crypt? Yes, and I know that they're not bringing back the Crypt Keeper. No, no, they said they do. M- no. but it's Emily Chamalan, and he just said in AV Club, I just read that he's what? bringing back the Crypt Keeper. Uh, it's not John Cassier. No, no, actor. no. He's... So I don't
1: care. When they do the relaunches, I'm like Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development. I don't see it. I don't acknowledge it. I won't respond to okay, it. Okay, okay. So, the, generally... the actual comic. But the actual comic. So TV. I didn't know that they were remaking it, but I mean, if you're going to remake anything, like Tales from the Dark Side, Joe Hill... Is a pretty good pick.
0: Yeah, he he he's did some. Lock and of, and key. Yeah, and he did some of the stories in the Shadow Show, which was the IDW tribute to Ray Bradbury stories.
1: Yeah, he's he's good, mm, not I, on uh, the level of Stephen King I, yet.
0: I, I I'm I'm not a big fan, but I can see what people like in him because mm-hmm. I've read the first trade of Lock and Key, and I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It's yeah. not not for me, but you know, on the up and up. Uh, boom Boom Lumberjanes Gotham Academy Number one of six <laughs> I see it
1: But I do not Believe it <sighs> it's I up. have read this or I kept thinking You know what It's March
0: 31st This has got to be An April Fool's mm-hmm. joke. But it's happening A six issue crossover Between the Two very successful Well uh, Critically wise Young adult series One from DC And one from uh, Boom Now the odd thing Is the creative team Because the writer is uh China Clagstone Flores Mm-hmm I haven't heard or read anything from China Claxton in a decade now. It has been The, the, a while. the Blue Monday finished in what two thousand three, two thousand so, four. Did she?
1: She did something with Sandman. I think like the Little Endless. Uh, yeah, but that, again, that's, was that
0: before or after Blue I Monday? I think. I think during. Right about the same time. Now I can see what they're aiming for, but it's been such a long time, and I don't know what she'll do with it. I'm curious. I'm going to give it a shot. But I'm like, why? Well, my thing... Why her? Why not one of the creative teams already involved? That
1: is exactly, exactly what I was about to say. Mm. You read my mind. Because Clux and Flores might have something going for her. I don't know. It it might work. But what's not clear to me is, where are the writers of either of these books? I think it's Carl Kessel on Gotham Academy, right? Yes. And Lumberjanes, who's writing it now? Kay
0: uh Leia, right? Right. Not, not left. Le- K- not- so why if are they? If nothing else, you would think it's a good time to bring back one of the original creative teams like Shannon Waters or or even Noel Stevenson for the big crossover uh, yeah. event. I it's I just find it strange. Like I, I know
1: that Boom would like Lumberjanes to become the sort of thing where you know you can have Faith Aaron Ix come in, you can have these other creators come in and have it still be yeah. and, and that's fine. That's like adventure time. They want it to be mm-hmm. another adventure time. This is still kind of weird, though, because it's an intercompany crossover. And I mean, these two books have been greatly admired largely for the same reason, if I'm not mistaken, you know, that they really do manage to tell proper sympathetic teenage stories with interesting characters. And it's been a platform for creative women, both uh, artists
0: and writers. This seems a little weird. Maybe she wrote a very good, uh, I don't know, story. We don't know... Because did DC and Boom decided together, and then they picked the a story team, or did somebody from their series from Lumberjanes made her, and she said, "Oh, I have this great idea."
1: I have the feeling that the story of how this book came to be might be more interesting than the story the book actually tells. Because, like, I'm just trying to imagine. So you're
0: imagining uh, China Clarkson's version of It's a Bird, featuring the Lumberjanes and I mean and Gotham Academy. Because think about
1: this for a second. DC have made no secret of the fact that they are not interested. In the sort of stories that Lumberjanes tells, right? This is the whole meat and potatoes thing. Mm-hmm. That's not what they want. And yet, I mean, intercompany crossovers
0: are rare. They are exceedingly rare. Well, they're large. just
1: finished uh, Batman, And M- I mean, Star Ninja Trek, Trek and Green Lantern and, yes. and all that. But like, it doesn't happen every day. No. So, not, not like in the mid-90s where it was. And, and something like this that is explicitly more targeted for boom's market than for DC's. Like, I can't see DC getting anything out of this. The readers who are loyal to Gotham Academy are still going to be loyal to Gotham Academy. I, I don't know. It's, it's very strange.
0: Okay. Speaking so, of weird. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Guess who finally showed up? Who? Our old friend, the ubiquitous Charles Soleil. It was only a matter of time before Marvel would be unable to contain him. And the soleil would just spread out and burst into the atmosphere and just run around into Image and Dark Horse and soon all will be Soleil. So this is a five-issue miniseries called Strange Attractors. He's working on it with okay. Scott and Okay, uh, here, here's
0: the thing. It's not new. No, it right? he, he used to be published at... Um... Yeah, there always was a Strange Attractor five-issue miniseries that was from Archaea. Literally. So either it's a sequel or they're just reprinting it and not in, trade in a trade. Why would they be reprinting it as a as miniseries, a... though? I don't know. Because there, there was a miniseries and it was actually collected as a trade. You could buy The Stranger Director from Archaea. Now, Image huh. sometimes buys stuff from other companies. That's Rifle Brigade. We just talked about it last week. Right. Uh, last, this episode.
1: Like Criminal? Like maybe
0: they're trying to rebrand it as... Yeah, but Criminal wasn't... You know, They published new issues, but they didn't try to republish the original Criminal as...
1: Yes, they did.
0: They'd in published... a series. No, but... No, no. Not no, in a series. As,
1: as, as trade paperbacks yes. with the Image uh, yes. logo. Yeah, but why would you... I don't know. Especially because Boom owns Archaea, so it's not like this was a cross-company move. Well, it was...
0: <sighs> or was it? No. I, I don't know. It's a sequel, maybe? With the same name? That's not a... Well, I guess, then, you... Volume 2. Well, it is super rare, but maybe they decided that his name, Charles Lane name, is big enough now, because a Stranger Directors was oh. in 2012, where he was...
1: He wasn't what he was today. Yeah, no,
0: he didn't. Yeah. He only wrote, like, four four issues a month, not... 14. So now that he's a huge name, they're gonna get, try to give it another shot, maybe. Okay. It's weird
1: because the solicitation text is treating it like a completely new story. Strange. But
0: in any event, it, it, I mean, it, it sounds like an interesting well, story. That's the strange thing in Strange Attractors. <laughs> the strange thing is the secret case of Charles Soleil. It's a story about people who are
1: weaponizing math to create deliberate butterflies Who's, who's the artist, by the way? The artist is
0: Greg Scott. So, yeah, yeah it's the original series artist. Along with it's, Sue Lee. So, yes, it's the exact same thing. I don't know why. That's that's weird.
1: Well, listen, if it is the same thing, then I'm just going to go home and see if I can find it, (laughs) like, uh, uh, instead of waiting for June. Yes. Because I am interested. This does sound intriguing. Um. One other thing from Boom. Mm -hmm. The Joiners. Another re-release. Yeah. I'm starting to get a little concerned here. There's a four-issue miniseries by RJ Ryan and David Marquez. I had never heard anything about this, which is apparently was the same thing with the Stranger Tractors. Uh, a technology mogul's family life is falling apart, and he has to get it back together again, make amends to his wife. It sounds like a slice-of-life thing with an, a technological angle, which could be intriguing, but I don't know RJ Ryan from A Hole in the Ground. Who? Do you know him? I have no idea who he is. No. Uh, so, you know, it might be worth a glance. There were, do you have anything from Oni? Um, no, not,
0: nothing that okay. I cared about. Well,
1: there, there were two things that I thought should be brought up. First of all, uh, Merry Men number 1. This is by another name from the distant past, Robert Rohde. Art by Ooh. Jackie Lewis. Now yeah. that, that's a blast from the past, isn't it? Uh, so this is a miniseries that takes a different take on Robin Hood. It assumes that the main character was the former lover of King Richard, and that that is why Prince John is really hunting him. I'm pretty sure that Mel Brooks made that joke first, but I have the feeling that. When Rody things were w- rotten, right? Uh, Not the old TV show. No, I was gonna say Men in Tights. Oh. But, <laughs> I mean, it could, uh, it could be interesting. Rody was always sort of an ill-fit at Marvel. Hmm. And I don't think that he's done anything high profile since Loki or Elektra or whatever. That, you know, it might be good.
0: I should mention that uh, Rebellion is publishing a Judge Dredd storyline that I've been waiting for in Collected Edition for quite a while. And we will get to that. But beforehand, one last thing from Oni. No. They're publishing uh, the first six issues
1: of Fresh Romance as a trade. Oni? Well, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Does it?
0: Uh, I would have expected Image, but maybe... No, no. I think in style, it's closer to, like, classic Oni. Uh, 224 pages, $25. Again, not not
1: not for us, but... Uh... Well, as with Amazing Forest, mm-hmm. as with, you know, every other anthology that we've ever covered on this podcast. Hits contest, and misses. Some hits, some misses. The thing is... ooh, it pains me to say this. But the thing is, Rosie Press, like the people who put out Fresh Romance... Offer digital trades of specific storylines. So if you wanted the Ruby equation, or uh, Marguerite Sauvage had a really nice two-parter in the last two issues. Oh, I
0: I stopped after issue three. So, no issues
1: at six and seven, I kept going. I figured just because it was really good, but they offer that as a one-shot. So, it's like, so why? Why buy it as a trade with all of the stories? Oh, well, I don't know. Unless there's you want to support yeah. Fresh Romance. Well,
0: because Oni has been doing it recently, publishing trade version of webcomics. They did uh, Lucky Penny recently, which was a mm. very... I've read Lucky Penny and was like, oh, that's a very mid-2000s Oni press, up to the level of, oh, by the end, there's a like a Scott Pilgrim twist. Oh, cute. Yeah. Like, right. realistic drama, realistic drama, fights. What? 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 Oh, okay, yeah, I guess that's what it is now. Sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does Rebellion have for you? Uh, they're doing the Titan trade paperback. That's the collection of the very highly appreciated uh, Judge Dredd as a prisoner from uh, Rob Williams.
1: Oh, I remember that one. It got great reviews. That was
0: 19? 19... No, 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 no. It was like two years ago. One year ago, even. So I'm confusing that with something else. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, and wow. it got great reviews. It was even on... Uh, not Entertainment Weekly, some other major websites, top 10 of the year for last year. Usually it's a list filled with either Marvel titles or if you're an alternative guy, fantagraphic titles. So suddenly, <laughs> and suddenly, oh, Judge Dredd, Titan. And like I said, uh, Rob Williams has his on and off days, but I think on is usually on. Okay. So I'm going to I'm gonna give it a shot and a shout out. Excellent. Shall we move on to reviews? Yes, actual comic reviews. Uh, circuit Breaker? We'll start with Circuit Let's Breaker. Let's start with Circuit Breaker. Circuit Breaker from Image Comics, because we have to do an image number one. If, like it's, we it's, keep saying, if they put them out, we'll read them. It's the law. <laughs> uh, written by Kevin McCarthy and drawn by Kyle Baker, and that's a strange, strange comic. Isn't
1: it? Yeah. I mean, look, Okay. let's uh, be honest and say, as, just as a preface, mm-hmm. if Kyle Baker is involved, it's going to be weird. It's just going to be weird. Yeah, but usually it's
0: weird good. This one is weird weird. So take this away. Tom. Okay, so got? we're in uh, post-World War Four Japan, where robots have been outlawed uh, after they've turned against mankind. Of course. Yes, and they're waging a campaign of terror across the last city on Earth. And so the creator of the robots uh, is built one last soldier, who, uh, who is disguised as his teenage granddaughter Sharon. Chiran, I think. Chiran, yeah. And he tasks her with uh, dismantling and destroying the other robots that are trying to hurt humans. Mm -hmm. And so she's the circuit breaker. But as she begins to question her program, will she become the last hope for humanity or the final nail in the coffin? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I like to call an interesting failure of a book. Now, first thing I notice here is not the writing, because I don't know Kevin McCarthy from A Hole in the Ground. He did a webcomic called Fantasy Fighter. Mm -hmm. And some, you know, when you look at it, he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. So when you look at, like, his Comic Vein page, you find, like, a sort of odds and sods. He did an IDW tie-in there and a Red Sonia story here.
1: Okay, not something concentrated.
0: Yeah, so I have no previous opinion. Baker, I considered him a brilliant artist. Mm. And somebody who has both a very unique style... But he can mail it. He yes. has this easily, easily malleable idea that he can fit to whatever the purpose, and, and that is not different from, say, uh, uh, Brendan McCarthy or uh, or Bilson Kavich, which are yeah. there artists that you can always recognize at a glance. But it's never a limitation. At the same time, mm-hmm. I think his writing has deteriorated a little well, bit mm-hmm.
1: because the timeline for me here is like you know one of my favorite graphic
0: novels ever. Was why I hate Saturn. Yes,
1: I love that book with a passion that I reserve. I I really love these King
0: David and his Plastic Man run was also very fun. Yeah, there was
1: a period in time where like he was putting out some really solid, really funny material. You are here. Oh,
0: oh, the one about the the guy who's like he swallowed poison or something. He's running
1: across New York trying to find it. Yeah, you know, like interesting stuff. And then the last thing that he
0: did, as far
1: as I can remember, was Special Forces. Which that was, was an odd not one. Not good.
0: I, I liked it, but only for the art. It was just very super wild, expressionistic action stuff. Yeah, but the story was a complete mess. Okay, and here he's doing an art style which is a cross between Usama Tazuka. Because mm. obviously the oh character God. design is oh, super yes. uh, you know, you nice people would call it homage, less nice people would call it outright. Rip, fest, rip off. Because Tazuka ripped off himself because he has this odd uh, System wherein he had character designs that always repeated in certain stories. He called it his star system. Osama Tazuka made Joker look like a like a lazy person. He <laughs> drawn like twenty thousand pages in his lifetime he or was something. A well, yes, yes, he uh. wrote about machines. So he has on one side that, and on the other side, and it's odd for me to say that about someone like Kyle Baker. He has this late Miller version of intentionally sloppy cartooning, where everything is always off model. See, I took that to, like, cheap knockoff of Jeff Smith.
1: No. Because there's a character there with, like, this cartoonish, like, Western cartoonish nose. Yes. And, like, the bald spot on the side yeah. of his head. It's like, it, he looked a little bit like Smiley Bone. <laughs> except not as much personality, not as much...
0: Yeah. Clear so design. Just, so, I assume he's aiming for some sort of self-parody, as well as the writing, but a parody of what exactly like if, are you parodying manga because if it is you're like 10 years too late for this type of parody in the west yeah and, and even in Japan itself they did it millions of times if it's a parody if the story is meant as a parody of uh Samatazuka it's not funny
2: no cause and you, and you and even it,
1: have
0: like lines of dialogue where they talk about
1: we live in like the mega city of yeah. Japan or whatever as was foretold by the manga so mm-hmm. it's like okay you're poking fun at the whole convention, but then what's the point?
0: Yeah, and the characters are barely existent. I don't care about Sharon. I don't remember her friend's name. I am kind of curious about the cops, you know, the detective and his partner who show up to basically... Yell at arrest, each other. Yeah. <laughs> exposit at each other. It's yeah, like a geek
1: chorus, as it like, were. You always hate robots. Well, you always cut them too much slack. It's like, why are you airing your business in the middle of an arrest?
0: It's just such an... Uh, because he has a, he's aiming for a certain point. But right? well, that
1: point is completely obscure I no, no I don't it, know
0: and what it's it is. it's both completely obscured and yelled at you at the same time because they have this whole uh, dialogue about how we used to call this land Japan but now it is only the world yeah so he's apparently doing some point about cultural uh, closeness and yeah, about and the how... old
1: woman keeps saying this is not Japan we're not in Japan anymore
0: so, and it's the sort of we talked about discipline what two episodes ago yeah and it's what Okay, you have a point. You should marry this point to an interesting story. Otherwise, just write an article and post it in your blog. Exactly. And the story is not interesting.
1: It also doesn't help that, as far as I know, neither Kevin McCarthy nor Kyle Baker have ever actually worked with manga. So... To decide that you're going to satire the genre's conventions, it's like, okay... And drawing style. But what's your stake in this? You know what I mean? Like, where does it come from? When it's like parodies of superheroes, it's usually by people who've written superheroes. So it's like, okay
0: we've you know. we we've talked about One Punch Man recently and that's a parody about superheroes from Japan sure it, it worked so but it's it, Superman it, you can appropriate that particular icon very no, specifically no, I don't think but it's like, about appropriating it's about having a point uh, make, yeah making sense I, I've read somewhere that this was meant to, the five issue limited series was meant to be a graphic novel in which case <laughs> if it has been chopped up in production you can kind of see the no, you know, no. I, I'm not saying it's interesting I'm not saying but if maybe if you met. There is this issue of if you've meant to read one thing as a as a single gulp, and then somebody divides it into a five month run, it it loses points, right?
1: The the problem with that argument, specifically for circuit breaker, right, is that assume that it was a graphic novel, right, and yep. it landed in front of your door and you read the first twenty pages. I would not have kept going anyway. Yeah, I will a fifth of the way through. You usually know by that point if you're going to like this or not, and if you don't like it, you just stop reading.
0: Well, yeah, but it's it's a very brisk read. So it's not like uh, 20 pages and, like, oh, it took me forever. No, it just took me five minutes to read. Yeah,
3: there's, so, you know, there's not a lot I, I could give...
0: If somebody gave me this graphic novel and told me... Take half an hour to forty-five minutes and finish it. I would read it and I would say, "Oh, good or bad," but you know, it's not. So it's not a graphic novel. It's a miniseries right now, and as a miniseries, as the first issue, do you it's think a big it would have made it, Do you think it would have made a
1: difference if Baker had stuck to either one style or the other, either Western cartoon? No, or no anime? because I, I think the because that clash does. Sort I of...
0: think I think this clash is intentional. I just think you know you you might have all the nice intentions in the world. It just doesn't work.
1: Mm. Speaking of good intentions that don't work. Okay, okay. Let's talk about Godzilla Oblivion number one. Mm, this is by okay. Joshua Fialkov and Brian Churilla, IDW. Uh,
0: now, IDW, as we've said before, have this habit of buying up old properties and reintroducing them, and often it works. Their Gem Run, we both love. Uh, Their Transformer stuff, you're I liked you. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: you. You're a bit. I wrong. acknowledge mm-hmm. that it is doing interesting things. But there's a barrier there for me because I'm not familiar with the material. And that's fine. That's that's not me. uh,
0: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Excellent. Okay. Their recent G.I. Joe stuff. Not the greatest thing, but is interesting. And they have this fresh point. Godzilla, they've tried again and again. They had... And again. Yeah, they had Godzilla uh, Half-Century War. They had Godzilla Rulers of the Earth. They recently wrapped up Godzilla and Hell, there was another one. Mm-hmm. And so far, from all their failed attempts, the only good idea they had was, let's give it to James Stokoe. Yeah, because he and did even a, then he didn't last. Because he did the Half-Century War, which was brilliant, ridiculously great, and he did the first issue of Godzilla and Hell. But mm-hmm. James Stokoe is a very slow artist, right? Well, because his art is so intricate yes, in yes. You know, yeah, it's, he, it's understandable. he can, he can Although, do about three issues a year at a push.
1: But see, that's that's the point where you start asking yourself, wouldn't it be better to just say, okay, James... In the year 2016, please produce a Godzilla graphic novel Mm -hmm. that is 120, 200 pages, whatever. Take all the time you want. We release it as a book. I don't understand, I say diluting the license of Godzilla as if Godzilla is, uh, you know, whatever. But this
0: particular Well, uh, regarding what you said, I just want to say Mm. a creator needs to get paid regularly, right? So an IDW probably isn't willing to just give him cash in advance because that's not how these big companies work. That's why, unfortunately, people like uh Frank quietly. You know, they just can't sit aside for two years and produce enough material. They, but they that always ends have to... up happening anyway. No, because it, he, he always, always releases, if... you know, one issue and then a t- four months break instead of sure. doing instead of just releasing five issues and taking. But he's two not years getting break. paid during those four months. I'm but saying. he is entitled. There's this feeling that the creators have to always, you know, be in news and be in interviews and you always have to be mentioned in bleeding cool and comic science because otherwise people forget that you exist. Sure, but it's, it's a lose lose situation. Yeah. If you're a- Frank Quietly and you
1: disappear for two years and nobody knows where you are and then you come back and you do another book, one issue and then you're gone. Nobody's going to be like, so how's Frank Whiteley? It's like no. At some point, your reputation ends up becoming he's that guy who's so slow. I think, I
0: think in Frank Weidely's reputation is all going to be oh, he's this guy who's really good. It's the same with all those artists. Mm. So like well, maybe not Brian Hitch, but like
1: Stokoe, for example. Yes. you know when you see his name in solicitations now, you already expect that he's either around for one issue or that this is going to be a quarterly book. Mm.
0: It's like it becomes part of the Orkstein In case, I think a yearly now. I It's been two, two three years since the last issue of Orkstein. Great series. Stuck so we are board. talking about James Toko and yeah. not about the books <laughs> by Joshua Falkov and Brian And Ryan there's Chirilla. a reason for that. Yeah. So
1: what's so, the plot? Okay. So the plot is Eli Talbot is a scientist dealing with quantum physics. He and his assistant Ridley are working on an unnamed project for a Japanese company naturally, the corporate overlords show up and they're like, so is this thing done? And he's like,
2: yeah, but we should they're probably test it. They're a fan stick
1: then. It's like, no, 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 no. Turn it on right now. We're going. We have to go right now. It's... I have a chicken in the oven and I need to be back home before it's done. That's
0: literally the plot of the recent Fantastic Four movie. <laughs> I know. It's We've like, built this amazing thing. Turn it on now. Now. it's like uh, we're, we're scientists. Need,
1: we need to test yeah, it. Test it. You know, field subjects. And that. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I have... Tickets to Mariah Carey at Las Vegas... Tonight! If this machine is not working... I'm going to miss... Whatever the hell is going on over there... So... On top of all that... They decide to activate the machine... The machine creates a portal... To an alternate Earth... Uh, Talbot, his assistant Ridley... And the Japanese overlords... Go through... And discover that this world... Has basically been stomped flat... By the eternal war of the monsters... Godzilla is king... He is protecting the survivors of this world by killing well, off we, other we monsters. Assume we like the, the characters who who are from this world assume that he's doing it to protect them. It could just be that he wants to be the alpha dog, yeah. and he's beating them down and, and preventing them.
0: Anyway, it's the world in which the monster can, monster war went out of control, and Godzilla is the one who's considered nice, not because he's particularly good, but just because he kills the other monsters. Yeah, it's a matter of convenience. Naturally, Talbot and their friends make a
1: beeline for the portal. Unfortunately, King Ghidorah has the exact same idea Mm. and goes through the end. Um, (sighs) So here's the thing, though. We've discussed more than once the notion that in a Godzilla story, the human element is important. right? Because you have to have an anchor to the story that is Mm. not Godzilla. Godzilla doesn't emote. It typically is not the center of the story in which it acts. The Half-Century War was really good precisely for that reason. You had Godzilla as this force of nature, this larger-than-life thing, and you can't connect to that as a reader, but you can connect to someone who is looking at him and seeing him in that light.
0: Yeah, it's Jaws. It's the Jaws equation, right? Pretty much. If you make the human characters interesting enough, the disaster happens around them, It's interesting, you know, for the visuals, but it's not just that. You care. Yeah. Here... The
1: human element... I mean, listen, Joshua, we need to talk because you did this in the bunker too, and I think you need an intervention. Having your characters point out that something is a cliché does not make it less of a cliché when you then immediately do it. Talbot says to his Japanese overlord uh, corporate master... Uh, you. So you just want to rush on and turn this thing on. You know that this is the plot to every bad science fiction mm. movie, right? And she's like, yeah, but we're going to do it anyway. And then what happens? Exactly what he said would happen. The fact that you are aware of the trope does not protect you from being criticized when you then play the trope completely straight. And that's what he does. There's no innovation here at all. I mean, Godzilla could have just as easily just been something that popped out of the portal. Mm. Mankind has delved too deeply into forbidden technology, yeah. and now they're being punished.
0: Now, and Brian Trilla's art. It's not bad. There are some panels where the humans are way too smudge, where we just skipped on the details. The big problem is that I don't get the sense of scale here. Yeah. And if you're doing a Godzilla comics, I need to get the sense of... These are tiny humans, and in front of them, this huge giant <laughs> thing here's just It's a big monster, but not, it could not be... Not only that...
1: Like the, the premise of the story is mm. that these monsters are meant to be second fiddle to Godzilla. Yeah. But when you actually see Godzilla,
0: I mean, sense of scale, he seems average. He doesn't seem any bigger. He seems like or... you know a ten-story-tall building monster, not a hundred-story-tall, you know, uh, uh, Manhattan-stomping thing. Yeah. And he's just standing there in the bay, being like, "What's up?" Yeah. That's the problem with Godzilla. You really need someone who. Can sell the sense of giant scale. So even if the writing was better, you would still be with this not bad, but not appropriate. Like, if you look at that page with
1: uh, Godzilla, right, Mm -hmm. standing in front of the bay, his head is more or less perpendicular to something on a rooftop, right? Yes. So you're saying he's the size of a skyscraper. But the whole point of Godzilla—he's supposed to
0: be bigger than that, right? And, like if he is the king of this monster world, and they're trying, I think, a bit too hard to uh, adapt the man in the suit vision, which you know that's what Godzilla fans like—you mm-hmm. know, the classic Japanese man in the suit. He j- but you're you're drawing a comic. Why does he have to actually look like a man in the suit? like the tiny stumpy arms. No, it's not just the stumpy arms. You can actually see here the neck, you know, the separation where the act would would dress it, which is either brilliant because if if you're a Godzilla fan, I guess that's what you like. But if you're just a guy who wants to read a good comic about a giant monster, it feels a bit cheap and you don't have budget problems in comics.
1: The conceit with Godzilla is that you have to be able to imagine past the effects and like pretend that he really Mm. is. Like when Godzilla appears in a comic, he is supposed to be what you imagined he yeah. is, there, not the guy in the rubber There's no suit.
0: budgetary limitations here, yeah. yet it feels like there is. You know what this reminded
1: me of? You remember there was an episode of the Powerpuff Girls where a giant monster rises up out of the sea, and the girls fight it the entire episode, and like it's they don't huge, even make a dent. They the, the huge yellow dinosaur thing, and then Bubbles goes up to it, and she's like could you please not step on our town? We really like it. And he doesn't say a word, turns around and leaves. And But like the sense of scale there where the girls are like these tiny dots in front of this thing that is like buildings only reach its knee. Mm -hmm. That is what Godzilla should be in a story where the focus is the human element, because so you're looking up at him. So
0: our recommendation for Godzilla Oblivion is go read uh, Godzilla: The Half Century War. Pretty much, yeah.
2: It's hey, yeah, it's by
0: know, IDW. What? They like the money anyway. You
1: know, Godzilla in Hell was not
0: great, but artistically, at least, it gives uh, you more to work mm-hmm. with than this. I did. Marvel keep in print their own 1970s Godzilla run, which was when he played basketball with Charles Barton. No, no, no. That's uh, that's 90s Dark Horse. Oh. No, no, the mid 70s Godzilla was bonkers crazy. He fought the Fantastic Four and the Avengers. He was shrunk down to the size of a mice and fought rats in the sewers. He fought devil dinosaur on alternate earth. It was, won- he was Bill Mantle, I believe. So,
2: oh, well,
1: there you and go. And her print, okay. So yeah, that, 1970- was, that was the context I was missing. Like, <laughs> as as you said it's Bill Mantle. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Beautifully bonkers.
0: Uh, okay. Aggressively
1: mediocre, mm. as Godzilla comics go.
0: And our last number one. Yes. That's a special one. hmm Medicine Issue 1. That's a Kickstarter project. Let's clarify. Medicine, M-E-D-I-S-I-N. Yes. I-N. It yes. is skin. Big, big S-I-N, yes. yes. Uh, written by Jeff Dyer and Mark McCon with art by David Bram and colors by Joaquin Priera. Mm-hmm. It's a Kickstarter project. I backed the first few issues for a digital copy and issue number one just dropped after we finished recording the last episode. So we said, Hey, you know, let's Why give not? it a shot. Sure. Uh, the big plot here, the big, uh, idea, high concept is that what we have here is a team of medics who work for supervillains. It's their job to drop into the battlefield as the superheroes kicks the villain ass and try and salvage what they can. And they don't really want to be there. They're basically being shantyed and threatened into this role by an unknown uh, force called... Uh, what Melody. We, Melody. Makes sense. Yeah. So, it's a very neat high concept. Bringing to mind something from like Astro City, you could imagine doing yeah. this story. Or Damage Control by um, Dwayne McDuffie. Yes. Yeah. It's like a less comedic take on that.
1: Yeah. Like the, the, There's always room for
0: comics that ask questions about the conventions and stuff, right so it's an interesting idea and for the first half of the issue I'm like oh yeah yeah I'm, I'm with you but then it slows down because the second half of the issue is basically all exposition yeah and after the first, you know, for the first half of this issue, when they're, you know, we have this big supervillain battle, and we have the seeds of well, well, why did supervillain decided they need this thing? Yeah, it's actually kind of touching. Yeah, it's a, it's a very nice idea. And then we have the the team in action, which you know, very cool. And I I not familiar with the artists, by Bram and Priera do, you know, they do very good classic style. I could imagine it. Could imagine like a mid eighties Marvel book yeah. hiring these guys, and they'd be right on top. But then you know we we reach the middle of it, and then we have this exposition, exposition, yeah, and the character old stuff comes
1: in, and it's like, so let's talk about how this was created. My <laughs>
0: brother, his now,
1: father. The weird thing is that I don't like I'm following this, and I don't understand why they're lapsing into exposition because the whole premise is that these people have been working as a team for a while. Like they were all kidnapped mm. by these villains in order to serve as medical assistants because they can't go to hospitals and they can't do all these things.
0: But you don't need to expose it. The concept explains itself. It's a great concept.
1: Yeah, they should they, have just like stuck with the mm-hmm. with the characters, as opposed to because I don't really get a sense of any of the individual doctors.
0: Well, they're aiming for something, and I really like the idea of the quick thinkers uh, son, mm-hmm. right? The, someone who's, you know, the, our lead apparently is someone who can't stop thinking. That's both a power and a curse again it's a very interesting idea I kind of think that something Peter David would have done like his version of Quicksilver yeah, somebody who's always annoyed because his mind is always racing forward and for him everybody else is just stuck and still speaking the last sentence while he already reached the end of the conversation and the the reason
1: the quick thinker is such an effective supervillain in the context of the story the original quick Hmm. thinker is that he applies this to foresight basically like he can predict what people are going to do based on and you see this very uh, very neatly in the beginning of the issue that starts with the fight Mm -hmm. so you have quick thinker breaking down the probabilities of every possible thing that's going to happen it doesn't change anything for him unfortunately but it does indicate sort of how the the quick thinking power can be used
0: i really like in the first half again the the big superhero battle that we get is that they're Intentionally doing, you know, classic designs. There, there's no attempt to make it. Oh, it's a show about medical. So let's do it darker and edgier and blah. No, no, no. It's you know, one of the villains is a damn imp. Yeah. It's a tiny imp, angry guy. Mentor
1: is kind of an uncomfortable, uh, racist image of like, you know, the, the Hindu guy with a mm. giant uh beads around his neck and then he's like, oh, hey, yeah, it's yeah, you know, The, the
0: double-page spread are kind of impressive. Yeah. I, I, I do wish the actual PDF that I've got would have been in a higher quality because when you try to zoom in, it's a bit of a, you know, grading. Yeah. But, um no, art-wise, I, I don't have a lot to complain about here. No, no, no. It, do... it, it knows what it wants to do and it does it. Yeah. I do wish that the script were more... Mm. I, I focus. Yeah, think. I think the cast was smaller. I kind of hope that now that they've you know they've been through it by the first issue, and since I paid for the first three issues, I'm going to read it anyway. Okay. I kind of hope that now that they've been through it, they the next the next few issues can just you know ramp it up and just go for broke with the story. That'd be nice because
1: mm-hmm. to be completely honest, like we're at a
0: point now where um, it's
1: just the the exposition speak that so many of these first issues are falling for. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing over and over again. And like at some point, you you can trust your readers to be like, okay, we don't need you to explain to us why supervillains need medical attention. Yeah, we can guess that part on our own.
0: Yeah, and again, if Who you are talk, these people. And if you talk Peter David, he would have done the same thing, but at least the characters would have more unique voices and there would be many jokes. Because right. it's, it's a bit of a jokey premise. Just it is. A bit. Admit the ridiculousness and go with it. Yeah. But you know. For the first issue from uh, basically an indie team that I've never heard of, it's very impressive. You, it's a solid first effort, and I would say. you you don't feel, for instance, the need to give it slack for oh, you know, they're indie guys. It it never feels cheap. It it could have well have come out from again mid eighties Marvel yeah. or Image. I don't know Shadowline right now would probably buy that kind of thing. Because a lot of the Kickstarter yeah. projects, or I don't know if you go to uh, Comicsology, submit. You sort of have to, the feeling of, yeah, I should probably give it some slag that the art isn't very well accomplished. Yeah,
1: like, it's with the, I think it's become sort of the situation where, because we recognize that image is indie only in that it's creator owned but like the names yeah are and familiar. always the big names and boom doesn't take as much chances now anymore because they cut down their, their line by like
0: 15%. And so, they have a very boom usually have this very particular style. This this yeah. kind of book So when Kickstarter books boom. shows
1: up it's like, you know you want to be generous towards Yeah it. but
0: here's the thing I don't feel the need to be super generous. I don't art wise, that's always the thing that gets me. You always feel like a bit oh you you just paid somebody had a good story idea and they either paid for the cheapest yeah. artist they could find or the artist still hasn't found a voice but here the no, fact the that it comes out solid. super accomplished the, st- the problem that i have are with the story yeah that's it too. and like, you know it's it's i think what
1: this might have benefited what this might have benefited from in terms of only the writing right mm-hmm. might have been a second password it's like you know what Maybe just in the first issue, have the team respond to a battle. Have them patch up. Like, well, they do them... respond, but. No, but then it's like the second half of the issue, like you said, when it gets dragged down by all this dialogue in which nothing's happening, like talk, they're just talk, talking talk. about the history that we already know. Oh, I really love, by the
0: way, uh, we mentioned the art the coloring of the flashback scene. Yeah. It's it's nothing else. The color, the coloring of the great. flashback is great. It's but like maybe very... that could
1: have been pushed off to the second issue where you're willing to give more space to developing the individual characters it almost
0: feels the flashback scene like a Matt Kinn stuff right yeah there's a lot to that which hey I like Matt Kinn so you know know, no, nothing wrong with that
1: I just I don't know I I would have liked it to be a bit more focused story wise but since it's a kickstarted
0: issue and since the first three issues are guaranteed uh, hopefully they will improve in the future yep uh, now this is usually a point where we do our trade reviews, our patented trade reviews, yes. because we're the only one allowed to do them. The That's main patented. course, as it were. But however, uh, Sean has something special yes, for us, right? Yes,
1: we have a very special treat for our listeners. Stay tuned.
2: And now the Riverdale Carnival presents the Archies. Take care of the kissing booth while we're singing, Sabrina. Okay,
4: everybody, here we go with our new hit record, Sugar, Sugar. Sugar. Oh, honey, honey You are my candy girl And you got me wanting you Hello, everybody. Hi, my yeah. name is Chip Zdorsky. <laughs> oh, sorry. No. <laughs> Uh, That could actually work. Please, Oh sorry, I am to you. That's
1: better. It is better. (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Smorgasbord. I am still Sean Edry, and with me...
0: I'm still Tom Shapiro, I guess. I'm still Haggai Palowski. Folks, we
1: have one hell of a treat for you today. With us is one of the top writers and artists in the industry, (laughs) (laughs) Eisner-winning author of Captara, Howard the Duck, and Jughead, and co-creator of Sex Criminals, and the second dreamiest man out of Canada after Justin Trudeau, of course. Mm. Who I've met a couple of times. Envy knows oh, no sorry. limits. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Please welcome Chip Starsky.
0: Welcome to the show.
4: Hey, thanks for having me. Our Yay. very
0: first interview. Is this your first
4: interview?
1: This yeah. is
2: our
0: first
4: interview. Well, there <laughs> aren't
0: a lot of interviews. Who comes here? Is here I'm, a, yeah. I'm
4: an easy
1: interviewee.
4: So oh, i a start.
1: That's good, because we're easy interviewers. <laughs> With that in mind, uh, let's get right into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, start. Right. So, we've been raving about the Archie reboots
4: yeah.
1: On this podcast for weeks. One of the things that's come up in our discussions is that at a certain point, for all that Archie was still being read in the late 80s, early 90s, yeah. uh, their stories were seen as very repetitive. You wouldn't really go to them for depth. It was sort of like Garfield in that sense. <laughs> like yeah, newspaper yeah. strip <laughs> level stuff. And then out of the blue, we have this reboot, which started with Mark Wade and Fiona Staples, yeah. and now you and Erica Henderson working on Jughead. So my first question is... How did this project come about? Was this something that you pitched to Archie Comics? Did they come to you?
4: Well, you know, it was weird. Like, I grew up reading Archie Comics. It's a very kind of North American thing. I don't know how much of it made it here. Oh, I was in North America. So, so you're in North America, too. So, yeah. So you understand, like, a long road trip, you'd read your Archies and your double digests. Um, so I was always a fan, and then I found out that Mark and Fiona were doing Archie. And I love both of them, so I was just, like, super excited. And so I contacted a guy I know at Archie, and I was like... Can I do a cover? Like, I just want to do a cover for Archie Number One. Like, just to have my name with the Number One Archie. That'd be really cool. And he's like, Oh yeah, sure, that'd be great. Um, but hey, maybe something with Jughead. I'm like, Oh, oh, okay, sure. And then he put me in touch with the Archie president of the company, which is a weird thing to be on the phone with the president of Archie <laughs> Comics, because you think like, Oh, it's like the Oval Office, like in Washington, <laughs> like, but with like Archie Number <laughs> One Yeah, it's like, it's so strange. So I I had this phone call with him where we just kind of like geeked out over Archie because he's not intimidating at all because he was a guy who was like, he went to school for cartooning. He got like a job as a junior graphic designer at Archie and just kind of worked his way up. So he's just like a fan who just kind of became president of Archie. And so we talked a lot about Jughead and uh, uh, at the end of the phone call, I was like, really jazzed. I was like, oh, okay, he wants me to pitch. Like they had a bunch of writers in mind, and then my name came up. Like, oh yeah, the guy that did that Applebee's thing. Like, that's something that Jughead would do. And so I wrote up my pitch, my first time writing up a like a professional pitch, and sent it in, and I never heard back. And so <laughs> he would send me an email uh, every once in a while, just kind of ask me questions about things. Like, hey, we're thinking about this artist for like coming for Archie. What do you think of them? I'm like, oh yeah, okay.
2: Or, Oh yeah,
4: what do you think about this kind of virus for a junkhead? I'm like, yeah, they, they'd be good. What about the writer? I'm like, <laughs> and so I would, I would go to sleep at night with my girlfriend, and before we would make love, I would tell her all my problems. <laughs> and I was, I was like, I, I, I don't know if I have got the job or not. Like, I have all these phone calls with him where he doesn't like let me know. It's kind of like you asked a girl out to prom, and she you see her in the hallway, and she's like, oh hey, how's it going? Yeah, how about that math class? Yeah, that was tough and then keep walking. Like there's no answer. It's driving me nuts. And so my girlfriend was like like just ask him. Like don't be such a goddamn chicken shit. Just ask him. Now make love to me. That's how I did. And then I asked him.
1: Not at the same time,
2: I was.
4: Yeah, yeah, I'm a multitasker. I write, I draw, I phone <laughs> people, I make love to people. Fantastic. And so I I sent him an email, I said, Hey, so my jughead pitch, um, what do you think about it? And he wrote back, and he said, I think no matter what happens, Junkhead is going to be an amazing book.
2: What the fuck is that? Like, that's
4: not... It. I was like, oh, I clearly didn't get the job. That's like fortune cookie. And then later on, they were doing that Archie Kickstarter. Uh, it was before it happened, and he called me, and he was like, hey, I want to ask you some questions. Like, what do you think of this idea of our Kickstarter, and blah, blah, blah? I was like, oh, I don't know. That doesn't sound like it's going to work. And... um and we start talking about the Kickstarter. He's like, "Why am I talking to him about all these things? I don't even work for the company." And then he said, "Oh, I was talking to Mark Wade the other day, and I told him you're writing Junkhead. He's really excited." I'm like, "Oh, I, I didn't know I was writing Junkhead." <laughs> he's like, "Oh yeah, you got the job. Congratulations." I'm like, "Jesus Christ!" That well, was a bit of a long answer, but like, that's the kind of process it took to end up on that. And it was really weird, like, to sit down and write a script where you're like, and then Archie says this, and then Junkhead says that. It's so surreal. It's Growing up with those books, it's really weird to have the words coming out of their mouths be mine. It's I have too to say much power. That, um, too <laughs> much power.
1: <laughs> you have been using
4: it responsibly, though.
1: One of the right. things I find really interesting about your Jughead run so far is that this version of the character, the, the rebooted version, as it yeah. were, is someone who very much lives in his own head. He yeah. has all of these elaborate fantasy sequences, all these genre pieces that, on the one hand, really show how isolated he is from other people, but at the same time... He's Jughead, yep. right? He has his friends, and, and it's always going to be that way. Was there a particular sequence that you really enjoyed writing, or that Erica really enjoyed drawing, or that she found challenging? And she's like, Jeff, I can't do this.
4: Well, it's good. Uh, Erica can do anything, so it's, there's there's a weird situation where when because I'm an artist, writing for an artist, you'll have an idea in your head as to how it should look, and sometimes it'll come back like, well, well, that's not how I would do it. But Erica, it comes back better always. Like it makes me hate myself as an artist. <laughs> Because it's so effortless. Like, I feel bad. I'll go write a scene where it's like, and Junkhead's in class. Class is a hard thing to draw because I've drawn it in Sex Criminals where it's like all these desks and students and stuff. She does it in like 10 lines. She's like, there you go. It's a classroom with kids. I'm like, holy oh, shit. Like, the confidence she has is amazing. But the uh, the best part of this job has been I'll ask her what she wants to draw. Like, she said she wanted to draw pirates. So I'm like, okay, well, we'll do a pirate thing. Great. Um, and with the, uh, the Time Police one, I basically said, oh, I want to do, like, a sci-fi thing. So it's going to be, like, a sci-fi story. She's like, oh, like, Time Police? I'm like, what the fuck's Time Police? she grew up... Uh, she's younger than I am, so she her references were different. So she used to buy Jughead's Time Police, which came out when I was in high school, and I was just drunk and high, and not reading Archie comics at that point. And so she made me research Time Police and write the story so she could draw the Time Police. So it's... I think it always works really well when you have like a writer or artist who understands writing and art, so you can collaborate a bit more specifically like that. So that's fun. I like being able to like make an artist's dreams come true in a way. Like the same with Howard. Like if, I'll always ask Joe, you know, what do you want to draw? Like what's what kind of characters, situations do you want to draw? Like, we've got stuff coming up in Howard that stems from our initial emails where he's like, oh, I want to draw this person. Like yeah, all right, yeah, let's do this. And Howard's really a character we can. Allow that, yeah, yeah, pretty much anything. uh, He's a malleable mallard.
0: (laughs) That should be the new tagline. The (laughs) malleable, well, uh, from the PG to NC seventeen, (laughs) I (laughs) guess. Because what interested me about Sex Criminals and many other, I'd say, of its other image comics is, uh, for a long, long time, since I'd say the eighties, which is my time reference for comic books, comics and sex just didn't get along. It was either Non-existent Or Incredibly puerile Or The worst of the lot, I think Over-intellectualized Because As much as I like Alan Moore for example yeah. A lot of his attempts To say Well we want to discuss Sex in comic book Because sex is thing that People do So yeah. he would spend Lots and lots of time Monologuing And writing about it And yeah. sort of just Justifying pornography As it were You have to and get out of here Your
1: vagina is haunted <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's not, it. it's not Ellen it? Moore yeah. No, but yeah. you know.
0: now Ellen, Ellen Moore's Terror Witch of the Black holes would be great but unfortunately <laughs> it does not yet exist but what we have what made me so like sex criminals or for yeah. example Saga or Brandon Graham I think is one of the originators of that style yeah. is that people are just fucking because that's what people do right yeah. because sex is part of life or make love <laughs> I'm, not oh, a, yes.
4: I'm not a fucking machine I'm a love making machine yeah I get it okay. Yeah, yeah, like Matt's kind of pitch to me when we started talking about it was he loves sex comedies. Like going to the movies and seeing like 40-year-old virgin or bridesmaids, things like that, which are funny movies that have a uh, high sexual content, but they're not pornography. It's just like people having sex and just having fun. But that doesn't happen in comics. Like there's no no 40-year-old virgin of comic books. Well... (laughs) I mean, uh, I see what you did there. That's not very wrong, but you you know what I mean. Like it's, it's like you're saying it's either over intellectualized or actual pornography, and there's not a lot of of process. There wasn't a lot of that until I think the last five years or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we we pitch it as like a sex comedy relationship story first, Mm. and there's like elements of comic booky kind of sci-fi yeah. stuff
0: later. And it's great, because the characters go through a lot of moods and situations, and it's never... It always feels real, even when you're dealing with people with time-stopping powers. Yeah. It's honest. Yes. yeah. Which means that they are embarrassed sometimes, and they're happy other times, they're super depressed. And it's just amazing seeing something so relatable to a subject that simply either didn't exist or was so misunderstood over the last damn since the medium
4: started pretty much yeah we, we try to we try to handle it both on the writing and the art side like Matt talks to a lot of people like he actually does like a lot of research talks to people uh, who deal with sexuality uh, clinical psychologists and, uh, and he listens to women like he says like you know he goes to a place where he gets his haircut. And he just overhears like women talking about sex and it's just like okay that's how they are thinking alright he talks to his wife he talks to like all these women in his life and for me it's on the art side it's I cast my friends in the roles, like the two main characters are based on friends of mine, they come to my house and we get drunk, I take photos of them pretending to make love. It's not as awkward as it sounds. and um, So it never becomes pornography for me because they're friends of mine, like I'll never take the Susie character and make her a thing that you would masturbate to because I don't necessarily want my friends in that situation where she has to be like, oh yeah these guys masturbate to me but it's a living. Like, so the so the, any kind of anytime there's sex or nudity in there, it's never to turn on the reader. It's always just about story or jokes, which is kind of like me when I make love. <laughs> <laughs> it's either for story or jokes. I it's mean, never I mean, to turn you on. Even
1: Jasmine Copain's character is someone who is not sexualized in say
4: the early image design oh, no. with like yeah. you know, two band aids and a potato chip. Yeah, that's not the point yeah. of her character in it. I think that's brilliant. She's based off an old porn actress too. Uh, I'm not going to say her name because I don't want anyone to try to hunt her down. I tried to hunt her down because I wanted to find out what she looked like now because she left porn, and I wanted to base the older Jasmine Say Cocaine on her. And I had to talk to a lot of friends. I'm like, because I I could hire a detective or someone to find out her real name and so I could contact her, but like maybe she's moved on from that and she doesn't want to be reminded of it. So I kind of had to come up with what I thought she would look like older. Oh yeah. Yeah, she's a fun character to draw. I like middle-aged ladies. Like, that's my thing. Right. More power to you. Yeah.
1: Speaking of sex terminals, I have to channel James Lifton for this one.
4: Oh.
1: Um, go on. If you were a character, ah. what ah.
4: orgasm power would you have? Mmm. Mm. Well, I often say that I have the ability to stop time because I fall asleep almost immediately after I orgasm. Just kind of my own way of stopping time. You know, it's such a deadline business that I would love just to have that power just so I could like do some work. Cause then it would incentivize me to have sex more and masturbate more. And be productive at the same time. Yeah. Because I always have a thing. Especially if you're freelance, you work from home. You're just like, you know what, I'll just masturbate and then after that we'll get back to work. But then you masturbate and you're like you're just surfing YouTube for like no, killer out. endorphins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always make sure I finish a page before I have sex or masturbate. <laughs> so you'll see a page... How professional. Get, you'll see a page just get worse and rushed as it gets to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> like, he clearly just needs to jack off. He's finishing drawing this face. He's piece, just...
2: Really... <laughs> I'm sure. So, Chip. Yes. As a creator mm. who interacts with this fan base and frequents conventions, you must have some pretty weird stuff going on. Well, it's mostly what's my
4: interns s- interacting online. I've never been online. I've hired some people to do that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: so, what's your weirdest, funniest experience with a fan? And again, I'm sorry about that time. I, I really uh, thought no. I, had, I had enough chloroform. Is, <laughs> Is that,
1: that why you had, wanted Baba Yaga's Chris mirror?
4: <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk about that, Sean Please. Uh, it was a bad time for me. Yeah, that was still the best time for you, right? <laughs> it's <was> the <laughs> best time. Yeah. Uh, you know what? You get weirder fans with Marvel stuff than you do with Sex Criminals. And CapTara. And CapTara, yeah, like uh, because uh, people who read Marvel books, have a history with the characters, and some people buy it without enjoying it. Like you know, like if the Marvel work- Zombie. Yeah, if you work in a comic shop, you know, there's some people are just like, okay, Spider-Man's in this issue. All right, okay. I hate Dan Slott, but I am going to buy this. I'm going to buy it for ten years, even though he's never going to stop writing this. Ever. Like, yeah, and that's the thing. You have your own idea of the character, we you start to buy He'll so, be writing from beyond! Oh, he will. Absolutely. He'll oh, like, a claw coming out of the grave <laughs> writing Peter Parker. Um... So yeah, it got dark all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying Dem Slot's going to die anytime soon. But if he does, know what you blame. Of, a whole bunch of people.
2: Dem
0: Slot disappears and suddenly Cheap writes Spider-Man. Incontrollable
2: you know Spider-Man.
4: A lot of, things, a lot of people mm-hmm. ask me if I want to write Spider-Man because I like putting him into Howard and I like, yeah. I like the character, obviously, and he's a joke character. But, uh, Except when he collapses and cries about Uncle Ben. That. No, it makes me laugh so much. The only thing I write myself that makes me laugh is sad Spider-Man. <laughs> but it's a job I would never do. I would never write Spider-Man because like, the fan base is just so... Everyone has their own idea of the character. Everyone's either like, oh, he should be a teenager. Oh, he should be like in college. Oh, he should be in university. He should be married. He should be a senior citizen. And oh, he should be dead. Like Everyone has their own idea based on like when they grew up, what the character should be like. And... You'll never find a writer that can fit all those characteristics. Dan is probably the biggest Spider-Man fan in the world, and probably writes the character as true as you're going to get that character. And even he has to deal with like guys online every day telling him how terrible he is. And
2: we see the results a lot.
4: Yeah, it's like oh, it's such a it's a thankless job, except for the fact that you get to write Spider-Man. Yeah, um, yeah, man. Although
1: there's a happy medium in. A book that I think is more flexible with Howard, the
4: Duck, where you don't have as many people saying Steve Gerber will never. No, you've got yeah. You, there's always a few. Like I I've received a few kind of emails about like my lack of Bev, his old sidekick Beverly. Oh, Bev. In the book, um, which we address. I just set the script off for her issue, um, but yeah, it's it's a lot lower stakes with Howard, and it's funny. I had a conversation with a Marvel editor a couple of weeks ago. Um, they wanted me to pitch on another book, and I was talking to them about it. And the uh, editor said at one point, "He's like, you know what? If you do this book, it's going to be good for you because you know this character is like a higher kind of level than Howard. Like, you know, it'll be, it'll help your career. It'll be like it's more, a trap. Out, <clears throat> more eyeballs on it." As soon as he said that, I was like, "Oh, I don't want that. <laughs> That's the last thing I want." Like Howard's great because no one pays attention. You know, issue one. Because I'd never written a book for a company before, issue one was tricky because that has to be shown to the higher up editors and all the way to Axel. Which issue one? The first issue one that I did. That I Second asked. one they had too many issue ones for so No one looked at it. Um, but yeah, the first one like there were meetings and phone calls like we got to get this number one right like this is a launch. Um, but after that, you know, nobody said anything really. Like I could get away with whatever throw characters in no problem yeah yeah it's been so fun because it's so freeing I think Matt actually gets a little jealous because you know he had his time at Marvel and he's out of Marvel and he's done but uh, I don't think he's ever afforded that kind of freedom maybe in the early days Punisher War Journal like he was able to like throw in all these fun little characters and stuff but uh, <laughs> but I'll send him like stuff I'm doing in Howard like oh I just wrote this scene or I'll check out this drawing and you can tell like, he gets the itch He's like oh what if he did this what if he did that oh this would be so funny like You totally want to write another Marvel book, like I can see it. I can see it in his eyes.
1: Yeah. Do you think that part of that freedom comes from, I say, quotes the tradition of the character where Howard was never someone that people cared about, like in terms of, oh no, he can't do this because continuity says that Howard comes from an egg, a cosmic egg, or whatever his origin is. That who can keep up? Uh, Do you think like that's part of the reason
4: why? As far as editorial is concerned, yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah, well, Howard's such an interesting character with an interesting history because he was so popular. Like, when that book came out, it, like, dominated. It was, like, their most popular kind of non, like, big book. Uh, and it has such a specific voice that I think Marvel's like, all right, just let him do what he's going to do. Like, there was, like, one issue of Howard where Steve Kerber didn't do the script in time, so he wrote, like, a whole... Okay. You know that issue where he's just, like, just him... They're writing, writing about themselves. Not actual
0: like, comics. Just they're they illustrated just
4: in the free illustration as he wrote. the... Uh, yeah, it was just like spot illustrations by uh, artists as he just like rambled on all issue, and you could never do that in a comic. And you know they give uh, Howard uh, newspaper script and Howard ramble president, and there are actual people that wrote in uh, Howard in that election. I think he has a chance. Oh, I mean, right now we right already now. have a real like, In cartoon twenty sixteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know. It's just as realistic. There's no rule. So yeah, there's. I mean, the quality of the book back then afforded them the opportunity to keep going with it and to do weirder stuff. And I think a lot of that kind of carried over. Now um, they're just like, okay, clearly this is a book that revolves around having some freedom. I probably had less freedom than Steve Gerber did. Back in the day, but I also have less complications with the character because I didn't create him. And the mouse is watching you. The, the mouse is Always. watching me, and like he had a lot of deadline issues as well, and uh, problems with editorial. I think. And um, for me, it's it's a secondary job. Sex criminals and Captar, are kind of number one, and then Howard is like the fun thing I do on the side. So, you know, and and my background in newspapers makes it easy for me to work around notes because newspapers are very uh, editorial heavy. And so when they tell me like oh Howard can't say this because of that I'm like okay no problem I'll figure something else out like I'm I'm used to that. Uh, when I
2: heard that you were writing Howard, mm-hmm. I was thrilled. So my question is, what other Marvel title would you like to put your hands on? What would <laughs> be, <laughs> <My answer laughs>
4: what would be your dream pitch? Um, you know what? That's such a tricky one to answer because. Maybe I'm going to do it, or uh, maybe uh-huh. something's happening. the one that I default to all the time is Fantastic Four. Maybe uh, yeah, R.I.P. That's so that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> I can't actually write them because they are no longer uh, with us. With us, um, but yeah, that's like the kind of comic that I'd like to write because you can really do crazy kooky stuff with it. Yeah. Like I think where the uh, the movies have gone wrong with Fantastic Four is they didn't embrace. The ridiculousness of that idea, like I always think a great Fantastic Four movie would be set in the '60s. Hmm. and be all like pop art and bright colors and like the kind of place where Galactus shows up. And they're like, what? You know, and, but he looks like Galactus because it's all like fun and weird and yeah. And they always try to make it dark and real. Like, when well, the think Roger it works. Corman movie is the best out of the three, you yeah. are in it <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. It actually the is thing. the best. With like, the watch the all compare Yeah, yeah. I know, was, yeah, if he had a better budget then it would have been the perfect Fantastic Four movie sure. so I like that, like when Matt worked on FF of Fantastic Four like I think he tried to tap into that especially with the uh, Future Foundation stuff mm-hmm. uh, and the kids and Mike Allred on art Like Mike Allred's kind of the perfect artist for that besides uh, Mike Ringo who's no longer with us like, I love him and Mark Wade role in Fantastic oh, Four yes. so much because yeah, yeah. he was able to make it Mark Wade's so good at making things high stakes Yet still fun, like it's it's a real challenging thing to do. He did that with Flash when he wrote it, Fantastic Four. Like those are like some of my favorite runs of anything. I yeah, hear yeah. Yeah, uh, there's uh, it's the
0: same thing with Sexpernel in which it's mature but it's not dour. Yeah. Because again, for a long time in comic book, the sense was well, all comics were fun but for children. So therefore, in order to be not like them, we had to be for adults and very very dark. Yeah. It's when and your colorist
2: reaches for like the yeah. brown. Yeah, the yeah. And, and the dark blue. Oh, and
0: yeah, the like, greens and browns. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, it's nice that we, we're allowed to have fun and still discuss you know, serious, high minded yeah. things yeah, in a fun I mean, fashion.
1: Yeah. I mean, when there's the issue of Sex Criminals where John can't perform because he's on antidepressants, yeah. I had never seen a fictional version of that. Like, that yeah. that's something that happens to a character in a story where they're the co-protagonists. Yeah. And that's like, that's a real thing. That's something that happens.
4: We thought we were done with that issue. Like, uh, it was the kind of thing like, we didn't think anyone was going to buy Six Criminals to start with. Like we kind of thought, and we had conversations at the beginning after like Matt did the first script and we talked through story stuff. Uh, Matt was like, you know, this is only the last three issues, right? It will be canceled. I'm like, yeah, no, I know. Like I've got a job, like I'll do this on the side and we'll figure it out. And then, so it took off and then, like at the, after the first five issues, Uh, You know, we set, like, this kind of fun tone, bank robbing and stuff, and sex, and then it took Matt a long time to write issue six, and when he finally gave it to me, I read it, I was like, this is great, and we're done. Like, no one's going to want this after five issues of build-up of, like, sex and fun and robbing banks, and then we have a whole issue about depression. Like, yeah. Yeah, the fact that, like, people bought it, read it, and enjoyed it, and sent us, like, mail, and, like, kind of encouraged us to continue, like... It still blows my mind, like the fact that, like every issue we we do, we kind of have a conversation where we're just like, is this the one that everyone goes, nope, you went too far, that's not what we want, but people still buy it enjoy it, so, yeah, it's weird. How can we turn away readers? There's got to be a way. Well, if the
1: BDSM panel didn't drive them away, I'm pretty sure you're (laughs) stuck with them. They will ride that chip for as long as it lasts. We're always
4: good to make sure everything's fun. As long as it's fun there's elements of fun in there like a a part of my job on the comic is background jokes like I love doing the background jokes and stuff so I feel like no matter what tone the issue has you you have have to throw that in yeah because there will always be something in there like if you like the jokes and then we have a serious issue like you know him and Susie in that issue have a conversation about like his mindset in the mall But I can still put like fun shops in the background of the mall,
2: and the mayor in the
4: background, the mayor joke in the background. Like, there's always something there. So even if you're like, "Oh, this is depressing," (laughs) you see a joke here, there. The only time I didn't do it was like, there was a scene set in the university. uh, uh, Where was grayscale? No, no. It was like it was uh, Rachel and Susie in the past, and like Susie, like basically Rachel was like. Kind of assaulted by a guy, and Susie kind of uses her powers like for the first time to kind of get revenge. And in that scene, you can actually see it in the panels, like some behind shots where you see everybody's computer screens. And I, I was like, okay, there's a spot to put jokes. I'm like, oh, not in this scene, not that Like, you gotta, like, yeah, like I'm still there's still enough of a uh, sensibility in me to know <laughs> when to put the jokes and when not to. So, yeah, yeah, that's the only time you'll see a, a blank space. I have not put jokes in. Chip, your because. work is
2: currently split between original material, sex kernels and Katara, and old characters with a fresh coat of paint, like Howard, like Jughead. Yeah. What's harder? Is it harder to have original stuff, the stuff to start from scratch, or is it harder to build on years back?
4: Um, and give it a fresh new spit it's harder to do the original stuff and there's a couple of reasons for that one is uh, you have to create everything it takes a long time to like create characters that have a voice and um, the characteristics and it's kind of hit or miss like something sometimes you do a thing and people are like oh I love that sometimes they'll be like oh no that's not for me um, whereas like doing Howard or especially Jughead Jughead The voices are in your head. Like you know how these characters sound. Like I know what Jughead says. I know what Archie says. You can write a script. All of us probably sit down and read Archie comics, and start writing a script featuring all those characters. And you know how they sound. Like it just kind of writes through you. Um, There's also the the thing with the corporate comics, where it's very easy to get an emotional reaction from a from the reader. Like if I took over Spider-Man. And I wrote a three-issue story building up to the death of Aunt May and a kill off Aunt May. That would get reaction. I mean,
1: after the third or fourth time, people
4: are just sort of like, uh, there is, there is that is she coming back. There is that, the <laughs> that element to it. There's that element to it. People would buy it, and it would be a thing. And like, some people would be outraged. People would be a blasé, but you get something. If I did three issues of a comic, brand new, in which I could introduce an old lady character, and by issue three she gets killed off. You're not going to get that reaction. You have to put a lot more work into that character in those first two issues to build up an emotional connection with the audience that's reading it. Like, you have to create and build that connection. Whereas with corporate comics, you inherit the connection.
0: The end
4: of the library in sex Criminals, where you feel actual start
0: yeah. for a building. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, more I- that you've... You yeah, feel no, sympathy yeah, for Susie's reaction. Yeah, to no, it. nobody dies, but that you, I felt to, more pain in that scene than many of the mainstream. Oh, you know yeah. this character that you knew since childhood died because I actually care. And
4: we have to sell that feeling a lot more and a lot harder. Like the panel where like John holds her back as the library is getting demolished. Like that was a hard panel to draw. Like I drew it maybe three, four times, like from different angles, like. Because it had to work perfectly, and the color had to work perfectly for that. Whereas if I was killing off, like, Franklin Richards or something like that, like you still have to work hard at it, but, like, there's a lot of history to that kid. And I just killed a child in a Marvel comic. That's going to be a big thing. But, yeah, it's, uh yeah, so it is, it's the creator's is a here, for sure. Yeah,
2: you know that, like, if you kill Franklin Richards, one million moms is going after you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Depends on how I killed him, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Chip Zadarski supports Lucifer. No, well, well, he, that we know no that. if he died
0: finding the light and uh, decrying his, father's, his father,
4: his scientific father, they still find. They That's still what happens find when you believe in evolution. Oh yeah, god! I would totally take over a Fantastic Four and make it so like Franklin Richards has like a near death experience, like one of those like kids in America who then writes a book about like seeing heaven. <laughs> well, he actually. <laughs>
0: You talked about the weight, Ronnie. He has that thing there where he was kidnapped to hell by yeah, demons, yeah. and his father is still like an atheist scientist, and he never once said to him, "Well, Dad, I was kidnapped to hell by
4: demons." Yeah. I think Not we- demons.
0: Then he has to have it here, right? <laughs> Aliens.
4: You meant to stir. <laughs> sure. I love Mephisto. I think uh, almost every pitch I give to Marvel, I put Mephisto in. it. am was like, oh, let's put Mephisto in there. I love it. It's like, his he's really
1: resurgent lately. I think ever since Karen Gillan's uh, journey into mystery, yeah. where all of a sudden he's cool again.
4: Yeah, and I think it's a cool character. Like, well, one of my favorite runs of comics was uh, Daredevil when Anna Senti was writing it and Darmi the Junior and Al Lameson on inks. Mm-hmm. It was so weird. Like, so many weird things happened in that run. If you've never read it. Because you're, you're younger and you probably yeah. have it. Oh, I yeah, the test of a 60 year old, it's okay. Uh, it's so good. And think, there's like one standalone issue with the human torch mm. Daredevil's missing and he decides to become like Hell Kitchen savior. And he walks into a bar. He's got like a toothpick in his mouth. He's got a shirt that says bad on it. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he he just wants to like prove himself so he doesn't use his firepower. He's going to take a big guy in a fight and then accidentally burns down the bar. It's like, it's so good. But there's like, that whole storyline that takes Daredevil to hell mm. and Mephisto's there and so the Surfer shows up. It's like it's such a weird Daredevil story. but um, um, Anyways, yeah, that's... Uh, I, I love Mephisto and like... Yeah, if he's, 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 he's not the man. devil to play with in comics, you should put him in there all the time. So if we have to have undo, a undo all the So characters. we can write it yeah. as
0: news Mephisto slash Demon Hellstorm miniseries by Chip Zdarsky 2017. Oh, i need it. We, we can I'll invent
4: it. I have pitched horror stories and like kind of like Marvel, magic, demon-style stories. Oh, yeah, too movie. much. Dracula nothing's, rises again from the grave. <laughs> nothing's uh, again. nothing's taken up yet.
1: I've got one last question. If since we do have to wrap oh, up, yeah. June solicitations yeah, recently yeah. had a the announcement of a crossover from Boom, Lumberjanes meets Gotham Academy. Yeah, and there was a Star Trek, uh, Green Lantern crossover. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you could cross over, any two of the books that you're currently working on. What would you want that to look like? If you think
4: I have not pitched Howard Meets Jughead, it's crazy. (laughs) That was like the first thing I did. Like, as soon as Jughead was listed, I emailed my editor Marvel, like, Howard Meets Jughead, let's just do this, get over with, let's do it, just approve it. It's like, I'll run it by the higher-ups, and nothing. Listen, I know
2: we're both thinking about it, so
4: let's just get it out of the way. One of my favorite crossovers, again, I don't know if you read this, is uh, Archie Meets the Punisher. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a classic. So good. Yeah. So good. And I wanted to do it in that kind of vein, but um, I don't know, when's the last time Marvel did a crossover with another company? (whistles) Amalgam? No, no, not that long ago, but... Oh,
1: JLA versus Avengers. Yeah,
0: yeah, music.
4: George Paris, but yeah, that, that was, was like a, 2004. That, that was, was before ago. the takeover. Yeah, 10, yeah, yeah, about
0: ten years ago, they've stopped.
4: Yeah, and well, I don't know what the actual reasoning is. Probably These are Disney. our toys. Yeah. You can't have them. Yeah. I guess, but... Uh, yeah. but they so have, the, the, the thing is, like, Marvel's a very uh, uh, tightly run company. Like, you know, they they have to make a certain amount of money every quarter. Like, Yeah, you can't account. fucking f- and
2: rob a bank to do... To get
4: that money. I know, exactly. You gotta put up quality yeah. comics. Yeah. But, like, I think, you know, a crossover could make them a fair amount of money, so I'm surprised that they don't kind of jump at that more. But I guess the logistics makes it mm-hmm. tricky. Yeah, right. I don't know. I'll keep pitching. Yeah. Stuff, but... Yeah, so, yeah cause I totally had an idea for a Howard Jughead thing. I was like, yeah, let's do this, but I have not heard back, so.
1: Jughead should just, like, imagine
4: Archie as a duck.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then
0: yeah. just be like, you know, sure. Yeah.
4: They have Archie has a duck character called Super Duck. It's like an old like forties, wow. fifties. Doesn't old. image own Destroyer Duck? They own Destroyer Duck. Oh no. <laughs> well I mean that's a Steve Gerber owned Destroyer Duck. That would be a total dick move of me trying to, try oh, to yeah. destroy Or Darkwing Duck, I mean I get suggested that a lot. There's oh, a wow. there's a lot of Darkwing Duck fans mm. that are, like sending messages. Like, Well when is you meeting Howard? When's this happening? I'm like, mm. I don't know nothing about Darkwing Duck. Nothing. his emo cousin or something <laughs> something like that yeah crime fighter I mean you can't go wrong yeah
1: so we are just about out of time yeah uh, does anybody have any final questions alright Chip thank you so much for being on the yeah, show for thanks, it's been a real honor uh, thanks to Ori alone Jacob Sorelli and local comic book shop Comic Casa for hosting us Ooh. and for the
2: Board, I'm Sean Edgery. I'm Tom Shapira I'm Hagai Palowski and until next time Bon Appetit